0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Anatomy Movie, as today we discuss X-Men Apocalypse in this uh, Stuart McAvoy tr- uh, timeline. It's all so confusing. Deadpool had it right. And we're going to try to figure it out today on Anatomy Movie. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now. Here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Yippee.
0: That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Anatomy of a Movie. There we go. There's Apocalypse. We have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. How are you? And we have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And we have Professor Zach from the booth.
1: Professor That's Professor
0: Zach Wilson to everyone.
2: Hey,
3: guys. Hey. There we go. He could be our Cerebro. He's in our heads.
0: (laughs) That's right. Um, Overall, before we fully get into it, um, as you guys follow along, you can download our rundown in the description below. Um, That way you kind of get everything that we discuss. You know, there's a couple of nuggets that we might not necessarily get to that you might find interesting, but you can get it all there um and obviously we are very spoiler filled so if you haven't seen the movie number one what are you doing number two pause then come back
3: yes
2: sure
4: and join uh, in the discussion if you have seen the movie and you're joining us live that's right
0: um let's get overall thoughts uh, let's start with dimitri
4: well you know for me i think x-men apocalypse is another solid entry into the x-men series um I think what's been great about this series since First Class and Brian Singer came back and took the reins is that Singer and team have made it where they don't where 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 the action uh, or a story they never predicate the action over the story. They are they, they take time making sure that you know we have good chemistry, good story through lines um, they make them meaty that there are ethical decisions that may or may not you know have to be made and you know it's a weird thing because I really liked uh, first class a lot um, days of futures past uh, was really solid uh, you know like a sequel to that this one's being the third and you know or you can't, sixth. Or yeah. sixth but yeah, you can't, it's like you can't get away from the is it better than or worse than this, and to me, it's a very slippery slope because in today's 140 character world, right? All you can really say is, "Well, it's it, well, it's not better than it's not better than, uh, uh, say, say Days of Futures Past." Okay, maybe not, but it still doesn't make this a bad movie. This is like this is a this is a really solid film. And I sort of kind of go like, look at the Harry Potter series, right? Very good movies. There might be some movies that you think are better than others, but they're still very solid movies. This one sort of kind of falls on that same thing. Like, this is a really solid movie. I can pick two other X-Men movies within this entire franchise that really sucked and made me angry. And this movie isn't even close to those. So I just want to predicate, well, I really did enjoy Days of Future's Past. Uh, This one may not... Have that level of intricacy of time travel, but it's still epic in scope. I love the characters; they they introduced me to some new actors, some new characters. Love the dialogue, um, the partnerships, the chemistry, and the, some of the set pieces. I felt were amazing.
1: I thought so. th- I think Dimitri and I saw completely different movies. Mm. Why do you say that, Zach? Mm. Um, I don't mean. Well, I'm um, curious to hear what Marissa and you felt like. I thought this was just. a bad movie uh like bottom line like not just not just as an x-men fan or anything like that i just thought it was a poorly written movie with uh the, with poor, poor like there were with very few character motivations and very little that intrigued me i almost fell asleep twice uh what, well stop about going Mursa? to
3: the midnight shows
1: that was at four o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon <laughs> What about you, Marissa? Where do you stand?
3: Um, overall, I, I'm a big fan of the X-Men movie franchise. Uh, uh, those films are, you know, they're always just fun to watch. And I thought this one had its moments. It had some moments that were, like, really cool, and some moments I'm like, uh, okay, sure. Um, I feel like a lot of the ca- there are some characters that were underutilized or we didn't see at all or were cut. Um, we'll get into that. And then I felt like they there were some that were overused that we didn't need that much of. Um, I, I think this film had some issues with balancing of story concept and character development compared to what was actually going on in the overall film. It was fun to watch at certain moments. Overall, not my favorite X Men movie, but fun to watch.
0: I, I overall liked it. Uh, you know, I thought its biggest problem is that it's a good movie, it's not a great movie. Um, and I thought it, the, the biggest frustrations that I have is that. They they just need to go more with certain elements, uh, and it could have been a great movie. I thought that I thought it was a great twist that the only thing that Apocalypse didn't have was the ability from Charles, right? And that's a cool twist because if he himself believes that he's a god, you know, well, Charles basically has the ability to control free will, and that 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 would have been great motivation to really draw out of Apocalypse of like I must get this power from from Xavier. So to me the the faults and it kinda seems across the board is that it, it just comes down to the third act. If, if it had a slightly stronger third act, I think the, the people would leave the movie a lot more happier because the, the first two thirds I think everyone for the most part from from what I'm reading and, and what I've seen and heard, they agree it's those parts are strongest because it's individual philosophies and things like that. It's just when they come together collectively that it's not as strong. Unfortunately. So, um, but you know, and, and as we kind of go through it, obviously it's, it's going to be a little bit easier to nitpick the stuff that didn't work, but I do want to say overall I did enjoy, I thought it was a fun movie. Um, you know, and I think it becomes harder to rank these things because it, how,
1: what is this? The There's sixth
0: one at this point of 2016.
1: That's if you don't include stuff like X-Men Origins, Wolverine, Mm-hmm. Which they well, do, and, and like, are
4: you saying this movie was worse than X? Than oh no, I was
1: saying in Phil's count of six. <clears throat> well, I'm, oh, ca- okay. I'm
0: counting just superhero movies of this year. Of not this s- year, not, oh. X-Men. Oh,
4: not not of the frame. Oh, okay. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. This year, 2016. Although God. it was
0: our second X-Men movie right. of this year so far, if you want to consider it, then thanks to yeah. Deadpool.
1: Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, that well, had it had other X-Men in it too. You had yeah. Colossus running around. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, and I,
0: I think it's always tough, like, you know, when you keep having to raise the stakes and go sure. f- further and further, it's, you know, it's just always going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. is. I,
4: again, I just think with, with you know, since Brian Singer has come back, again, I, you know, I'll point out, and again, Deadpool is, it's Deadpool. I, I don't call that, they don't, I don't, just because uh, two X-Men characters show up in it, to me it's not an X-Men movie, it's a Deadpool movie. So X Men Origins uh, Wolverine. I mean, it's called X Men Origins Wolverine and X Men Last Stand. I mean, you mean to tell me that this movie's worse than those two movies? Oh,
1: I wasn't saying that. I was just I was purely talking about the count of X Men movies. <clears throat> oh no no no! I'm talking. I'm still talking about. Yeah. Well, I is mean, it a bi-
4: like because Wolf- the-, the Wolverine movie. And Last Stand, I mean, those are two movies that literally made me angry.
1: Honestly, like, here's, the, here's my main thing, uh, is at, like, in Apocalypse, I just found myself not caring enough about, mm-hmm. about anything. Like Apocalypse rips the world apart. He destroys an entire city, seemingly killing millions of people, and I don't care. Um, th- this is a Phil. You're so, you talking about the problem of scope and scale at this point, and I think that that's the problem. Like in the last movie, it was they were going to wipe out the entire mutant race with Sentinels. They were going and they had to tear apart the space-time continuum to fix it. That's that harder to go. It's hard to go bigger than that. And they tried. Now the X-Men have like taken on a god, but it, it's just they they went so big that we just we weren't invested in any of the characters, and a lot of characters were behaving. I, in ways I didn't that didn't were, weren't either were, weren't fully fleshed out or just lacked any clear motivation. I didn't really understand at the end of the day what Apocalypse wanted. Like what was his key want? Yeah I mean, movie?
3: I, I kind of agree with you there, Zach, too. I felt like this film had a trouble with character de- development of new characters. I mean, because if we know who Magneto, Magneto and Xavier are, like the ones that are returning. We know who they are, so we don't need to spend that much time on them again. But for the new characters, especially like the, the younger version of Scott and Gina, when I kind of wanted to learn a little bit more about them just like for the character development on their end because the way that, not to jump ahead, but at the end, I felt like their moments weren't earned. Because there wasn't enough screen time, enough character development with them. So yeah, and I agree with the whole apocalypse and him. I there was problems. I felt that there were some balancing issues of who's the real antagonist? Is it Magneto or is it Apocalypse?
1: I actually mm-hmm. thought Storm like uh, had a great arc. Storm and Cyclops were like the two that I thought had a clear like beginning, middle, and end to their story. Like Storm coming around, like seeing somebody that can give her power that she's never been able to have in Apocalypse, and then seeing him fight her idol in Mystique, that's a clear arc that we can see, but Apocalypse didn't go through that. To me, the most interesting part of the movie was Magneto living in uh, Russia or Poland or wherever he was, and his family. I wanted two hours of that movie that's all I would have. I would watch Magneto just trying to live like a normal life undercover with his powers and a family drama with his now mutant daughter. And if I were to nitpick and
4: see if I were to nitpick on the movie, that's the part that first off, like annoys me with most, with a lot of Marvel franchises, including the X-Men. I mean, it was great to see him live this normal life. And then he does something very heroic He saves somebody from being crushed by, like, an iron vat. And nobody says, thank you. Oh, it's just easier to say, oh, we fear you. Like, like the guy didn't even get up and go, I don't know how you did that. I don't care. Thank you very much. But instead, they just, they easily go to the... Oh my God! You're, you've got these powers. We have to be afraid of you. And it's like that to me was always the problem. It's too easy to like. Well, I think stick to like race. Like a little contrived. Like,
1: well, yeah, but that's the whole just, that's the whole basis for the X Men is and that's being hunted my, as mutants.
4: I, but that's one of my biggest problems because it's too, like when he did something that was very altruistic and like he was a colleague and and like he was even telling people. I've been over your house for dinner. Yeah, dinner. Like like not one not one person said, you know what, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt because you've been a living part of this community, you have a family, you contribute, but no. He saved somebody's life and instantly they're like, but, but We're that's very you.
1: but that's very true to life. I mean, they're definitely I, they're absolutely real people who the, the the biggest analogy for uh, for the X Men are are people in the homosexual community, and if and if you were, it didn't matter if you saved the people's lives. There are places in the world where if they if you turned out that you were gay, you, they they'll drive you out of town. It wouldn't matter how many how much I, you've done I for like, other people. They, I like they, to
4: believe that we've come a little bit farther. I'm not saying but that it's, it's not. But We haven't, distant.
1: unfortunately. That's the sad I part like, about the world. I
4: like to believe that we've gone a little bit farther. That we're not. There is racism and prejudice but, out there to go uphill. Well, I mean, but he literally, right in front of everybody, saves saved somebody's life. life, and nobody said. Thank you. No,
3: I get that, too. But it was also in, in fairness to that, that, like, they found out that he was a world-domineering person. They're like, oh, he's Magneto who tried to take over the world and kill everybody. So I, I think that's where the fear led into now we but fear you. It's, but it's I get it. The, it it's, the, it's a bad trope to always go back to, you know, the being an outcast because you're different. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I would like to hope that Hollywood and just the storytelling in general... Goes more than and beyond that, but unfortunately, just to add to it, the fact that he's already a pre-existing scary villain added to the audience like, "Hey, we should fear you."
4: And going back to Apocalypse, I mean, for me, anyways, he's just he's Old Testament type of God. He's in a world where he's what he. Number one, he learns from TV, and and he sees there are very there are false prophets, there are false gods out there. And he's coming from a time where there's like a God and, and to believe in. And he's like, no, like not going to have this. And, and, um, he, and so that's where, he, I, that's where I was coming from. That's where I got coming from this. And that, yeah, he was this God that he can't, he can't believe what, what earth has happened. And I'm going to get rid of all this, the scourge of the earth, the strongest will survive. And, you know, he too himself is a, False god in a sense, but he's not, you know he his but, ego his godlike ego. Here's the thing: I,
0: I I would have liked to see you know with him and I, I in a minute I do want to kind of take it back because I think we've kind of just <laughs> jumped into where everyone just wanted to, but um, in in terms of him. I, I wish they explored that a little bit more because I did like him learning through the TV, the iconography, right? I mean, if you look at it, um, the, the symbols we have through all of humankind, yeah, I, I agree. Like, we we worship the worst of the worst, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if you really ex- kind of explore that, there's something there. But it didn't go—it it, could have gone a little bit deeper, I think. Um, one of the things, you know, to counter Marissa's point and also uh, in terms of where they were going with the development, right— um, I actually did like the introduction of the new mutants and, I, but I thought they did it in a way where it wasn't forced. Like everything that happened for me didn't happen because, oh, we, we have to set up this. We have to do this. I thought, um, I'm a little bit more with Dimitri on, on this where I thought they handled it from a story perspective and that it, it needed to be there for the story, not necessarily because, oh, we have to set up the next sequels or whatever the case may be.
4: And to me, it's all a lead-up to the first X-Men movie. I mean, one thing, that, one thing that Days of Futures Past didn't necessarily do, like, it didn't purposely do was it, it didn't retcon Singer's first X-Men movie. It, it really took care to retcon Last Stand and where mm-hmm. characters have gone. But I had to keep on, you know, reminding myself that, oh, okay, this is the young, um, you know, Scott. Like, this, like, their first meeting, like, this is eventually going to lead up until that first X-Men movie that, that, you know, again, when you look at what the first X-Men movie did for superhero movies, there weren't any at the time, really. So, I really enjoyed these pieces, these characters coming in. And, and seeing them for the first time in that way, and good 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 actors too were, were, were doing it. I thought it was I thought it was fun. And like these are the people in 1984 who are going to grow up and be the leaders of the X Men yeah. that we know, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and what I appreciate, I mean, again, the the timeline is skewed as such. But um, what I like, you know, we got the Scott Summers uh, backstory, right, which I thought was interesting, and in a way where you know he didn't have to, he didn't end up killing anybody despite his powers mm-hmm. uh, to see jean gray i think we we've kind of seen that that was in a way last stand you yeah. know and you could make it different and cool but kind of why
4: but they never really had what was and again what i thought was really cool how they handled jean gray is only at the very end of x x-men 2 where we get the the very um <laughs> like the very phoenix. Star Trek II ending ish, <laughs> where yeah, going over the the, the lake and and Jean Grey's Famke Janssen's over voices talking about life, mm-hmm. death, and and Phoenix. But I really appreciated the scene here where she goes all ablaze, and then you just see the remnants of of a phoenix, phoenix you know, killer. hinting of that phoenix or that. Became such a huge storyline in X Men comics later on down the line, and and I, I just like how they took the time and the detail to at least incorporate that. Yeah. So you know, and and she was great, by the way, Sophie, Sophie, Turner? Sophie Turner. Yeah, I her. thought she was really good. I loved yeah. her a lot. It
1: was cool to see I the Phoenix okay. Force. I really, mm-hmm. I got excited because I was not expecting that at all. Um, and I like that odd. they had the, the the screech. It was it was subtle in the way that a slap in the face is subtle. Um, they were very much like, "Hey, we're going to do Phoenix Force ne- in the next movie," um, but it was cool. I mean, it was because that was one of the only things they managed to keep quiet in all the trailers and build up towards the movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, like it was it was cool and fun to watch for me. Again, character development. They didn't. Have, I don't think they developed Gene enough to get to that point where we were like, "Oh, hey." Yeah, this was a totally earned moment for her because we saw she was having nightmares and she was shaking the mansion. But again, it was out of fear. It wasn't out of control. And then when it got to that point when she actually like let that happen, she's like, all right, I'm just going to go full balls to the wall and take out this guy. I don't, I didn't see that connection. I was like, you weren't that person in at the beginning. So no way could I believe that you could actually accomplish that at the end. But she
4: didn't do it on her own. She had the tutelage of Professor you know, of Xavier and like she didn't just come up with that on her own. Like she was being told by people much smarter than her, like you can you can you have the power. You have to well this power. You can do I mean they were all mm-hmm. at this school for the gifted for a reason.
2: Yeah. And,
4: but- and you know, and I also like that too because
3: I don't think it was that became
4: enough. a that became a nice theme as well because I had always thought that the school for the gifted was, like, bring these kids in, show them a home, teach them about their powers harness and how they can re- harness their powers. But there was a great thing that that um, Raven, you know, had brought up, well, no, you need to prepare these kids for war like this is what you know they they need to be battle tested because this is going to happen time and time again where that that I always thought that's what the concept of the school was actually for in a sense so it was it was interesting for me to see that the school he didn't want them to engage what? in war and he sort of now he he himself learns yeah, I guess we do have to test because at the end they're they're in the danger room. But
1: I but I think Marissa's right on the point there that like it wasn't it, there wasn't enough time spent with her. We didn't spend her time seeing her as gentle or fearing uh, a, a force inside of her that she didn't want to let out. There was mm-hmm. nothing that like built up to it, which is part of why it was such a surprise. And and I enjoyed it for the fan part of me that enjoys seeing like a cool comic book moment. But you're right. There was no. There's no
3: real lead up to it. Yeah, there was
1: no. There, it was there was no character drama built around it. Where I was worried that she might hurt somebody if she let out her power. She was not worried about that. She just didn't know that she had that power inside of her. And just not knowing is sort of flat.
4: Interesting, because I did get that she was a little bit afraid of her powers. I think
1: he. I,
0: I I got that. I mean, I I think Raven, um, you know, she's played a big part in all the movies. But I think I think. When she took the leadership role, and especially in the plane when she's saying, you know, our first mission, going back to first class, uh, you know, we were no older than you guys, and it was dangerous and things like that. And when, when she says the line, uh, I, th- I think it's Scott who asks, like, hey, we're, we're not fully developed, you know, we don't control our powers. And she says, don't. Um, and, you know, you can take it as a silly line or whatever, just made for the trailer, but it actually could be, you know. I, I think if you put weight on it, that could be the line that's that unhinges everyone and you know, it makes them go, oh, okay, like, I why do I have to control my powers and just let it loose? And especially, it's it, it's another thing, right? Um, it is that differing opinion. It's one thing to control your powers in a situation when there's civilians, where there's humans, but not when you're fighting apocalypse, right?
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: like that's 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 the time to unleash right. everything you have,
4: yeah. And I also like, too, that they sort of definitely, Days of Future, Future's Past was an Eric Xavier type of a story, um, you know, in their two ideologies and such. I like this one where it wasn't, we had the Eric story, but I liked how it was a little bit more Raven. Like, we're actually, like, this is picking up after the events that, that happened in D.C., this is what Raven has become. She's, and she's become Raven. And she's going to help other mutants. She's going to try to find mutants. And if they're in this crazy she's going to get them out of that thing. That's her mission. Which I really enjoyed that growth for that character. But we know where Raven ends up. But still, I thought that that was a really good... I thought that was a great arc for her. That that, and there was a little bit more Raven. that We saw her a little bit more in, in a leadership role whether it be on the plane or at the very end of the danger room, I thought was pretty good too.
1: Well, I think one of the things we, we I don't think we do know where they end up because the original X-Men trilogy is, uh, it's old canon at this point. It's just, it's exactly, it, to me, it's exactly the same setup as Star Trek, the original series versus the J.J. J. Abrams Star Trek universe. Like every single part of it has been reset. So like those events may happen, but they're not going to happen the same way. Um, so every, so like all of that's out of, Uh, Out of continuity, so I I mean that's why I liked Mystique's journey in this movie. That like she had because she was now she's famous. People know who she is, and they fear and they either fear her or love her for it. And it's a very that's a very different take. I know it it set off a lot of comic book fans because they don't like her being so out in the public eye. But I think her journey in terms of I don't want to be somebody's idol was very. it was very unique to the movies. It's not a comic book type thing for that character. But it worked for what they had built to this point. Yeah, and do you,
3: do you think it's also because of Jennifer Lawrence as an actress? Because just her oh, yeah. her in the last five to ten years, you know, when these movies came out, she has blown up in in the Hollywood eyes. So I think that's also because they have such a star power that they're going to write more just for her character too, which also affects just the canon of the regular x-men stories yeah but
4: like what you said that's pure like that's a that's a dichotomy between she doesn't want to be a false idol she doesn't want to be considered a hero and yet you have this god apocalypse who takes on the moniker of i'm going to be a god i am going to be a god in this planet whether you like it or not i mean that's like that's
1: an interesting like counterpoint between the two characters but again it's just like for me apocalypse i'm just like and Dimitri, maybe you can uh, can clear it up for me. But like, what does he want? Like, what is his goal from the beginning to the end of this movie? Like, what did he want to accomplish?
4: He wants. He wants to be worshipped. He wants. He wants complete. Did he? Because he seems to be
1: wiping everybody out. So it's not. No, like he's... he was. His
4: whole goal was the strongest will survive, and they will be my father. He goes. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wipe out. The strongest are gonna survive, and those who survive. It's like last. T- it's like. Early Testament kind of wrath of God. I'm gonna like get rid of everybody. Those who survive. That's where I'm starting from. I think so I gotta I gotta I, level everything. And then, then let me
0: ask you guys this: Is the problem? Because I I I'm on board with that argument. But is the problem that there's we're only restricted to four horsemen of the apocalypse? And I know obviously it mm. comes from the, the the comics and and, mm-hmm. and so forth. However, it just felt, for this movie, it felt like an arbitrary number versus, like, hey, whoever wants to join me and and be of strength and is worthy, by all means, come join.
3: And I, I think, yeah, I, I think it's that, too, because, yeah, he had four horsemen who virtually did nothing. and But you got to remember Magneto, who was, like, the biggest villain for the longest time, that was his whole uh, philosophy, like, join the Brotherhood. It's, like, join anyone at any number can join. So, like... His thing was gather anyone who wants to be on his side, where I think that what keeps him apart from Apocalypse is like he only had four, and that was it.
4: Yeah, and for me, that to me, like outside of that, you know, his, his life in Poland and how that got taken away from him, you know, I think the question that should be asked is, would he have, like, if, had he still had that life? I mean, he had chosen, he had tried to do with what Charles had been telling him to do all along. He's going to try to have a normal life and 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 be loved. He had a kid. He loses all of that. So for me, it made that decision for him. You know, when he comes across Apocalypse and Apocalypse can truly see the, the type of power that he has. For me, it made it an easy decision for Magneto to go. You know, he was in such despair. And he's like, you know what? I, I try to be good. This is what I have to be
0: well it's like it goes I mean it's a Star Wars-esque type of thing <laughs> no it is no, where no. like the I, dark I, yes. side is that much more powerful because again when he felt pain he, he comes to fruition with his full ability whereas if he you know as Charles said like you know there's a happier side to you. you can control it that way obviously a differing philosophy he wasn't as strong as he even though he could be there's a block in him to, to yeah. do that yeah. out of happiness yeah. um w- w- um, Zach, any thoughts on uh, four as an arbitrary number?
1: I mean, it's it, like it's a cool factoid with the past, but it, it was just like one more thing that's I, I didn't grasp why Apocalypse was doing any any part of what he was doing. Like he was gathering these people, but he didn't seem like they were. He was gathering any of them for a specific purpose. He's just like come fight with me for X. Like if they had if they had harped more on the idea of I. I'm going to protect this world and make it a better world. I would have been on board, but just him seeking out worshipers for the sake of having worshipers d- isn't enough for me. It wasn't enough to, to drive it home. So, like, I, yeah, it, it would have been more interesting if he was going after masses instead of just like, I have four soldiers and now I'm going to attack the biggest person. I guess he saw the way uh, Charles is a way to gain those followers by force, but it was just like, it wasn't enough motivation for him. Mm. I agree.
3: If there was a cl- more clear objective and motivation for that, it would have it would made four. Like, okay, these are the reason why. Well, I there are four,
4: four horsemen of the apocalypse. No, I mean,
3: we we know that this but, is a but, very like, biblical reference. But that's and a
1: cool that's a cool factoid. But in, for this character, yeah. he came up if, with he if, came up with the four horsemen. So why did he pick four? Mm-hmm.
0: I think an easy <laughs> fix, right? If if you guys go with this, I think I think a fun thing would have been only four would have sided with him. Like, if he actually tried to recruit rather than, like, he just shows up and boom, everyone, you know, these four people are on his side. If he actually tried to actively recruit, um, I think that would have been cool and he only walked away with four. That, to me, could have worked. And that's why then the ability to actually control free will would have been that much more powerful. Of Like, I need Charles for this and that's how I gain worship. But why did,
4: again, we're getting into a religious philosophical, why does... God need archangels. I mean, I say that he picks his four horsemen here, because these are more or less going to be his guardsmen, his messengers. These are the people who are, like, these are the people who, these are his, his pitch people. These are the people he's sending out. He's letting them do the work, eventually, in which they do, because it's Magneto who's, who's, like, tearing up the ground and such. So... That's, you know, they're his, in a sense, minions. They're the strongest of who he believes are the strongest of his, his crew. So, I, to me, it's, it, it, it makes that biblical sense. I, I get that. And when we start talking Easter eggs, you know, I'm going to bring up an Easter egg that was in there um, that mirrors what was happening in this in mm-hmm. a much smaller. Fair hmm, enough. Media. Media. Um, so let's,
0: why don't we talk about, uh, let's talk about Magneto because um, a lot of people's problem is that uh, that at the end, you know, he does this, all, all this destruction and then, you know, he sort of let back in um, to society and, and it's almost like forgotten. Now, in terms of what um, Simon Kimberg, the writer and producer, he says, we try to keep we try to keep it the things that Magneto was destroying felt almost like monuments or rooftops of buildings rather than a building toppling over and people dying. It's one of the uh, things that Brian's very sensitive to. I may be less sensitive, sensitive to it. Actually, I'm sort of more of a genre geek where I'm okay with cities and being destroyed. Uh, Brian's very sensitive to collateral damage. If you go back and watch the movie, it's things like bridges ripping apart and cars floating in the air, but you don't see cars dive-bombing into the water, shipping containers flying through the air, but they don't smash into any bodies. Um, so what do you guys kind of think about that?
3: I, I think that's interesting because I think that maybe kind of shows a little bit of character growth in Magneto's. And he's not out to hurt people for the sake of hurting people, he's just out to destroy the world because he's angry and he's not happy with it. But the fact he's not like actively hurting others because he himself was hurt by others, I think that shows that maybe he's not as evil or as bad as a character as we thought he was.
2: Look,
4: he, he is and and Singer talks about him a lot. He is a super villain, so to speak, Magneto. I like within these early I like what they've done is that and even in some of the X-Men movies like X-Men 1 and, and X-Men 2 there's at least that little spark of him. Like Charles always keeps on trying to say there, there is good in you, Eric. I know that a lot of bad has happened. You have every right to be angry. And I think the way Fassbender plays him as well I think is great because you do get that he's being torn apart like it's almost like you know, Luke Skywalker. Do I go to the dark side? Do I what am I doing? He goes, I know that there I try, I try, I try, but at the end of the day, I'm really best at this, and this is what works for me, because I can't deal with people who are always gonna fear me. And I just like that there is that inner that inner struggle with him throughout. And it's especially with these last three movies. And I think Fastbender's been great. Now, whether or not he meant to hurt anybody, I was watching this movie going jesus there's a hell of a lot of destruction going on like people like you know even if their cars are going up well the law of gravity says they're eventually gonna have to come down and i'm just like i I read that article i found that article like that that kinberg had had said and i'm like i wasn't i wasn't totally buying into it Mm -hmm. because you know we didn't see people dying but there was a lot of destruction. It, I mean, I don't know how it didn't.
1: It sounds I mean, like they took like the raw like the people the way people are reacting to Man of Steel where it's like so many people died. And it's like, well, Magneto is a villain. Like they you people dying is part of destroying a city and it's part of like if you're gonna if you're gonna raise the stakes in a movie to a point where a god is ripping apart places and destroying the earth, then people are gonna die. Um it, like it to me it remind like it's the difference of this versus like the first Avengers movie, when New York was being attacked, there were a lot of there were a lot of people that were clearly dying in that city. Not massive scales that, but like people were gonna get hurt, and it felt like they were going to. The way that it was shot, either from ground level, like seeing rubble coming at you, or just like the, when they when the the when the creatures were like crashing into buildings, it it felt scary. It felt dangerous, but we weren't seeing anybody running or scared on the ground. It looked like almost like the cities had been abandoned and that just removed all of the stakes from the scene. And so if Magneto was trying to, and the other side of Magneto was actively trying not to hurt people, why? He was so, he had gone so far as to kill that like, Group of police in Poland, and now he's siding with a guy who's trying to destroy the world. So, why is he holding back if he's going that direction? He needs to go fully that direction. If we're gonna, in, if he's gonna go that way, go all the way. Make him just want to just kill everybody or kill nobody. It has to be one or the other.
0: Well, then, I mean, did you guys buy that turn then at the end um, when the, again he goes against the apocalypse and then they kind of let him back into the group and he? in a way, gets the credit for saving all of humanity.
1: Seems like he should have gotten some kind of, like, reprimand or punishment. Like, he did hurt a lot of people. It, like, changing your mind and seeing like, well, that was not a good thing to do doesn't really take away from the fact that people died.
3: Yeah, I mean, I get that, too. I kind of believed it only because at the beginning of the film we saw him as a good guy so we know he has it in him to that he has a better side yeah. so the fact that he went back to, he started off good then went evil again and then went back to good i believe that but and even
0: so well sorry to cut you off No, You'll no, to no be not true. at all um i mean i i agree that he could that he is now good or like for whatever amount of time but to zach's point yeah, he destroyed cities. Yeah, he destroyed cities. So, like, they're con- like, it's not like I can just kill a bunch of people or ro- rob a bank and then be like, you know what, I'm good again, guys. So we're cool, right? Well, that was mm-hmm. wrong. Like, it doesn't work that way.
3: No, yeah. it doesn't. But for his character in this film, I accepted the fact that they accepted him back.
4: Yeah, I mean, he, he ultimately, again, that's the inner tor- turmoil that I think that this character and this character as per- portrayed by Fassbender, you know, Again, it was very important, too, that they show going back to Auschwitz. And and I think something just clicked in his head, seeing that this false prophet, this false god, like, he's doing what the Germans did to me to put me in my position, and I have this power. No, it's not out of fear. He's just looking to get rid of people, to have people worship him, not not unlike Hitler was trying to do. And I think that turn with him, you know... Maybe it happened, like, a little, like he said, no, I, I didn't betray you, I betrayed them. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that line, it says a lot about his character, and, yeah, I, yes, he was, whether, we can debate whether or not he killed people according to what Simon Kinberg had said, but, yeah, having him, remember, he doesn't stay with the X-Men. He's not in any kind of costume at the end. He's in a suit and he leaves the house. He goes, okay, Charles. He goes. I think he still has a lot more soul searching going on with him, hence him leaving, leaving the the castle.
1: But that's that's exactly it. I think I would have preferred if he had stayed at the house. Like, if they're gonna, if the, it wasn't his. Uh, like actions that I that I questioned. Like, I think that Magneto coming back to the to the side of good absolutely makes sense. And that, that fits with his arc in the story and the way he started, and the way he finished it works. But it was how everybody else reacted to him. It's like, if I could see not letting him go, if it's going to be like, okay, we're not going to like put you in, in a prison again, uh, cause we know you're just gonna break out or, but like, you're gonna stay here and teach students about what the mistakes that you've made so that you, they cannot make the same mistakes again. Like something where he's going to actively be doing better for the world. Cause I can't see Charles just saying like, just shrugging off all of his actions at the end of this movie. He did a lot of bad stuff. And this is a guy who has repeatedly done bad things. This is not a, well, you made one mistake because of the entrancement of apocalypse. This is a guy who is done wrong many times throughout his life and is clearly if you let him go going to do it again and charles letting him go is is, is that's we, that's a weakness on the part of charles's character
4: that's always been a, in a sense his belief in Magneto and eric has been like you know that they were good friends and i really do i really do believe that like him leaving the, the, the you know the house for the gifted to me it made sense Cause he's still he's still struggling with who he is and he needs to go find that on his own Charles is a person he, he, he understands Eric and he does believe in his good and again not forgiving yes this guy dropped the stadium on the White House so he in, in what he was doing with Apocalypse yeah, not very nice stuff I, I'm not I don't fully believe that Xavier thinks hmm this could happen again I just think that Xavier's belief, whether you find it weak, or or a mistake, I just feel that he believes that Eric has to find himself on his own. And knowing who Charles is, he'll always and he'll always know where he is unless he puts that helmet on. But he'll be able to hopefully go and help his friend if need be. Cool. So, fair enough.
0: Um, speaking of tone, I wanted to. Let's talk about one of the best scenes, at least for me, in the entire movie. um, The Quicksilver scene.
3: Yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Um,
0: But before we actually, like, dissect that scene, just real quick, um, what do you... You know, some people are saying that the weight of that was just misplaced because then comes the death of Havoc, and, you know, you go from, like, the ultra euphoric uh, scene to...
3: To, oh yeah to, we to to lost ultimate someone.
0: sadness you know and then therefore the death of havoc doesn't have the weight that it should
3: um it,
1: i mean it worked for me i mean that's what that's what happens sometimes like you he gets caught up quicksilver is caught up in the fun of like and the triumph of saving all the people that he did manage to save and he he couldn't save one of them and it's only after he has to come down from what he went through that he that it that, that comes out it that that didn't bother me at all. I didn't even think about it as a bad moment. Um, it, it hurts for Scott.
4: Yeah, and, and, and I felt the way that they had played it out, too, that Havoc was so close to it, even with Quicksilver's speed. I mean, he was at he was a ground, literally ground zero. And when he was done, he was like, yeah, I got everybody out. Because I didn't see anybody else. I think Havoc had already come to his end yeah. at that point. Um, great scene, though. I mean, how do you top... What they did in Days of Future's Past, which that scene was amazing, they had a great mm-hmm. music bed for it, and it was something that, as an audience, we'd never seen before. It was funny, it was, and, it, and it just set this whole thing up, and you go, okay, am I going to see this again, just repurposed? Well, yeah, but it was even better, <laughs> like, Absolutely. what they did. Mm-hmm. It was amazing, and I love the kid who plays Quicksilver. Evan he's, Peters. Evan Peters, Peters he's, he's fantastic. The kid, he's funny, and he's, you know, I'm glad he's, quote-unquote, part of the team. I was just wondering, and I don't know how exactly how it is in the comics, but why are you not saying, I'm your son? I'm your son. A lot
0: of people like, are saying that. Or,
4: or it's like because if Magneto or Eric is going to, if you're going to, quote-unquote, melt his heart, it would be because he still has a son. He has, like, not just X-Men family. He has family.
1: Yeah that seemed like a needless takeaway. Like why why would you not? It yeah. just like it it it's was a- it was perfectly set up in terms of like the script and the story. It was perfectly for the characters. It was like this is the time where you go and like you're like talk go talk to your dad. Yeah. And everyone else around you like Mystique knows, like the professor probably knows. Um I imagine uh Jean Grey knows. Yeah. Uh like why is Magneto the only one who doesn't get right. to know?
4: <laughs> yeah, it was sort of, kind of Why aren't you playing that card? Well, especially because, you
0: know, Zach's right. I, it was set up... You know, I, I like Quicksilver with his line, you know, as fast as I am, I'm never quick enough. You know? And so, like, this is the one moment where you get to actually overturn that, and you, all you have to do is just scream out, like, hey, dude, I'm your son. That's it. <laughs> and, and then you, you are, you you know... Because God forbid now as life continues, like, that you were too late and you didn't say anything.
4: Yeah, and, and again, they, they to, to Zach's point too, they threw up a big beach ball for it. Like, I mean, Mystique is like, man, you got, Eric, stop. You gotta stop. Like, you have family. And like, right next to him was literal family. And he's like, well, what are you here for? And he's like, well, I'm here for family. <laughs> and I'm like, or maybe, maybe, Dad? <laughs> I'm here,
3: cause
4: of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm your son. I'm I'm here for real family. Like you're you're my dad.
3: Maybe that's something we'll see in the future.
4: Maybe, Maybe I don't in know. The in the comics,
3: anyways. do they ever address that, Zach?
1: With uh, they, uh, him
0: knowing that he's the son.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he knows. I mean, it's different in different continuities.
0: Sure. Fair enough. So but let's, was, let's talk specifics about that scene because bo- both of you actually did a, uh, quite a bit of research on that. And, I mean, in terms of most filming days, they say uh, Evan Peters was on set for the longest amount of time yes. out of any of the actors.
4: Yeah, Just, Just for this
3: think. one scene. <laughs> they, well, they, there was so much that went involved. But it was really cool because they had, like, real time explosions but they use the phantom camera yeah. at 90 miles per hour through the explosions that filmed at like 3100 frames per second. Could you and imagine one. something so that goes Essentially they could freeze time.
4: Could you imagine a camera that goes 3000 frames yeah, per, per second? Per second. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's amazing.
3: Yeah, it, amazing. I mean just like the <laughs> mechanics of it is pretty cool. And um so yeah, they moved that, and then like a bunch of the kids were on actual harnesses and like tilted at different angles through the air. Right. And I'm uh, curious.
0: Is just I, I should have probably looked in, but is that faster or slower than what Inception did with the car off the bridge? Ooh, that's a good uh, trivia.
4: We'll have question. to really. I'd, out. Have to, I'd have to research. Yeah, yeah. what yeah. Nolan used. Yeah, because I'm pretty. Yeah. sure, Yeah, it could be actually more than
0: the, the the truck.
4: Yeah, could be. I mean. I, again, I, it's just like where technology has come today. And again, how do Leaps you up that months. ante? How do you up that ante from Days of Future Past? You know, the
0: sad part is, I watched that scene. It's not as good from Days of Future Past. It just doesn't yeah, compare. It's not. yeah. It like it just got but,
4: completely trumped. But it, it got trumped. But it's virtually. That, you know, we're seeing, they're just redoing something, but they're redoing it in a bigger form. It's what you hope to get in a sequel. I'm not going to discount the, the the Days of Future's past scene because, again, the comedic elements in that are great. It just, that was the setup for a major punchline. I don't know how they, I don't know how they utilize Quicksilver going forward and whether we'll get something even bigger, but... um well, Man, I, I they thought did they did a, a good job. Tr- you
0: know, in terms of one of the things that I worked uh, that I thought worked really well in terms of Apocalypse was the notion that all of a sudden here's Quicksilver and he's beating the crap out of him. And then it's like, give me a minute. I'm going to handle this. And then he focuses, okay, I got you. And done.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I, I liked that aspect of it. I thought that worked really well.
4: And, you know, it was funny. While I was going, I was like, how is a god getting beaten? Like, yeah, he's supposed to be a god. Like, I know Quicksilver's fast, but again, the comedic... The comedic elements of that were the punches to the face and, like, Apocalypse's face going to... And that was... Again, that was a really super scene. It was great. Up until he got caught.
1: (laughs) Well, it it, it worked. I mean, that was the thing. At least they are using the character's powers and not just, like, sidelining them where you're like, why isn't Quicksilver just running in and punching the the crap out of him? Because he has that ability. But, like, Apocalypse has a lot of powers. Speed is not one of them. So Quicksilver can move faster so that he can hit him. But once he's grabbed, there's nothing he can do. So yeah. like they at least in that instance they use the powers the way that it made sense. There were some right. other instances that uh, we can we can talk about later that I'm just like wait, that's not how that right. works. And
3: I think that quick moment with Quicksilver beating up apocalypse it showed the audience that that apocalypse can be de- defeated. It, it gave that sense of hey if someone can actually, you know, hurt him, then it is possible he can be destroyed.
1: <clears throat> at see he's like you can you can hit him at least. Like, yeah. So now you can do more if you get to him. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not a, he's not actually a god.
2: Yeah. Um, you know,
0: I, I agree with you guys, but I also think it's one of those um, you know it's one of those great movie moments where you're like what do I got to do to beat the hell beat yeah. this guy? It's like <laughs> I've tried this, I've tried that. It's, We're you know? throwing
4: everything up at him.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and towards the end, you got Magneto, you yeah. got Cyclops, you got everything you could throw at him, and just yeah. nothing's working. Yep. So I, I mm-hmm. like that aspect yeah. of it. Um, what character do you guys want to talk about next? You know,
4: Should Can we just talk Quicksilver for just one second? Yeah. So, in Zach, because I know your 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 um knowledge within the 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 Marvel universe, um. It's so fantastic, but my my thing with Quicksilver is so we have the Quicksilver in this X Men series, mm-hmm. right? And then isn't that it is Quicksilver in the Avengers?
1: Qu- yes, okay. um, there was there was a, a basically Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch because uh, they're both they're the they siblings, child children of Magneto, but very early in their existence they joined the Avengers, so they've been mainstays in both the X Men books and in the Avengers books for years, so there was a big debate between the two studios uh, before uh, Avengers 2 and before Dates of Future Past over who had the rights to the characters. Since they, they, they weren't like specific, I think it's the deal didn't specifically lay out like characters that they own, just properties. Um, so they basically had to have arbitration and they ended up deciding both companies have the rights to use the characters. I think there was sort of a, uh, this uh, This is just my own theory, but I think there was sort of like a handshake agreement of yeah. like, all right, you focus on Quicksilver, we'll focus on Scarlet Witch, and like that way it doesn't feel like there's just two versions running around, because like, Disney, uh, spoilers for Avengers 2, killed off right. Quicksilver really, right away. Going. And <clears throat> Scarlet Witch, they've like made reference to her being nearby. Like they've like called out your sister, but we haven't seen her anywhere on screen.
4: Right. And and I guess that's what I'm I'm getting at because if you know, if Marvel eventually gets what Marvel wants, which is complete pollinate cross pollination and, and such, we have one universe where Quicksilver is dead. And this universe where Quicksilver is not dead, and I, I get that this is 1984, but he was a he was a different
1: Quicksilver.
4: I mean, like well, not I, even just from an actor perspective, like he had an accent. I mean,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, if they if they ever do do if they ever do an X Men Avengers crossover at this point, like it won't be a clean like, oh, well these are all, like all the X-Men movies are are canon with the Marvel movies. It's just like sure. with Spider-Man. They reset Spider-Man's canon and like mythos so that like the Tom Holland version is completely new, like yes, there's simil- going to be similarities to the Tobey Maguire story, to the Andrew Garfield stories, but those are not the MCU Spider-Man. The the only way that you're going to see this cast of X-Men in an MCU movie is if they do something like the the theory that people have thrown out is something like a Secret Wars, where it's more of a two universes crashing together, and then you it's it's not about like these are two different Earths. This Earth never had the Avengers. This Earth never had no. the X-Men, I, and yeah. so like you might have two Quicksilvers next to a true Scarlet Witches next to each other who are just like different versions of the same person
3: okay. if we
1: ever get to that yeah. which I people have bandied it about including the producers on both sides it's not gonna happen yeah.
4: no I, I'm, for, you know, I'm already scratching my head by what you said not that you didn't do it eloquently but I'm just like you have you had two people playing Quicksilver this guy in X-Men is great But what we also know in another Marvel franchise, Quicksilver's dead, (laughs) and it it to me it just was a little it's a little confusion. But I like this I like this guy I like this kid.
2: Fair
0: enough. Um, Let's talk Nightcrawler. Um, This is his sort of second iteration. You know, uh, also did X two obviously. I like. I, I like the way they introduced him, right? Because it's um, you know, you get Angel and you get him sort of fighting. It's very similar to uh, how we we're introduced to Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Um except this time one. it's it's known that they are mutants and right. obviously um that works really well. Um But yeah, I I, th- I thought he brought a lot of good humor to this overall.
3: I liked him because you know, even in the comic animation, you know, sp- x-men and whatnot nightcrawler was always somewhat of that comic relief that the fun one who's just around but still doesn't know everything but he's just there Um, I liked this version because nightcrawler is just a cool character to to follow and to watch um, on screen in whatever form you're watching it Um, I I like this version especially with you know having Cody Smith McPhee he I think he's a very talented actor if you've seen his other films and stuff and I I like that this he felt fresh and young for a iconic X-Men character. Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I liked uh, the kid who played him as well. You know, one thing as I was watching this movie, I kept on thinking, I liked who they cast because in 20-plus years' time, when we get to, say, the first X-Men movie, I could see them becoming, like, James Monsters playing Scott. I could see her morphing into what we know as the Femka Jansen character. I can see him as growing as Nightcrawler. Being what Alan Cummings was, like I thought they did a like, I was thinking about that a lot, and I like the way this kid portrayed him. Um, and it was very, you know, he had his sense of humor. Obviously, the the, um, you know, he was very, his, still his religious thing. I, I love that going into it. His naivete about a lot of things in the world, like not knowing what a mall is, like that was very yeah. funny. What's I I vote we go to the mall <laughs> and. I, I liked how they played him, and I liked his costume and, and character design, and his tail, too, I loved, which was almost, had as many moves as he did and worked almost independently of him, and, yeah, he was, uh, I, I thought they did a really good job of introducing that character into this, uh, in, into the fold.
1: The fight sequences with him were also just incredible. Like yeah. the bamfing everywhere, and like the way they did it with him. The fight of him versus Angel. A lot of people have complaints about the the punk rock version of Angel, and it is a very different take on the character than mm-hmm. we've seen in the books and even in the original set of movies. Um, I don't mind that that it it's so different. I would love to get more backstory on him, but but Nightcrawler just like ev- the way that the two of them fought, where it's just like bamf, 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 like it it felt right it was the yeah. right way to have that character move and fight and like the idea that like he can like take other people with him when he bamfs and it's uh, by the way uh for anyone who thinks i'm just using a weird word a lot in the in the books whenever he he teleports it it always says bamf bamf yeah. like b-a-m-f <laughs> and it's just that's how people refer to his abilities he's bamfing Um, and it was, it was well done and it was fun and it was fun to watch. It was cool.
4: And, and and it's not that he fights so much as he tries to like run away and like, and the guy's like saying, dude, you got to fight. And he's like, I I can do this. (laughs) This is easier for me to do. And I I don't want to fight. Like why? (laughs) Um, yeah, that's, he, that was a great scene that, that, that cage match and all the places that they had him go.
1: And they showed the blob there in the, uh. Like, yeah, that's, that's more of an Easter like, bit for later. But like the blob comes out, just like throwing characters in there, it's just a cool touch. Yeah, um, but I think that it like for Angel, it make it made sense to have him there in the punk rock style because if even if he did grow up as like Warren Worthington, like super rich, if he'd gotten stuck in this situation, like yeah, he would have to go a little bit more punk rock because he's like no, if I don't right. fight, if I don't, if I'm not badass like eighties style with the with my perm uh <laughs> they're gonna shoot me um so he had it's like wrestling he had to become a fan favorite in order to stay alive yeah. and that's what he's saying to to uh nightcrawler yeah and what do you,
0: uh in terms of nightcrawler what do you the what do you think about the differentiation where he's no longer mystique's son or i mean i don't think there's any hint
1: of that right the timeline. I mean, there's a lot of timeline issues in this movie. If you actually <laughs> stopped, if you stop and think about the years, it's like, well, if if Mystique had been uh, there in the '60s, that's the age that she was during the Cuban Missile Crisis from First Class, and then if you have Nightcrawler at the age he, like Kurt's the age that he is now, that timeline adds up, but not when. Mystique didn't age over the last twenty years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is
2: true. As
1: no one did?
2: Right. Yeah,
0: maybe maybe one year. You know.
2: Maybe. You
0: know. it's that uh, beast. He's got uh, he's got his injections. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> all mutants yeah. get magic uh, anti-aging yeah, injections. It's, yeah, it's a, a, a sub power in uh, in the X gene. Absolutely. I, understand
4: they, I, I understand they get it from Kiel's. That's what yeah. I've heard. <laughs>
0: Um <clears throat> let's talk about one of the uh the biggest fan services of the entire thing, Wolverine. Yes. yes. Uh,
3: um, it made sense because they went to Echo Lake. I was like, okay, he has to be here if the whole Weapons X program is there. It, so, and then it—it it was funny when I was actually watching it in in real time. There was maybe twenty seconds before he appeared. I was like, we still haven't seen Wolverine yet. And then here, literally, he shows up within that minute of me thinking that. I was like, oh, yep, there he is. But so it, it was very expected. But the
1: continuity that this. Breaks like from Days of Future Past. Like, if you remember, at the end of Days of Future Past, the last thing we saw, as they like, they set it up to be super important. Like, we're gonna this is gonna lead us into the next movie and where we are is that Mystique has taken over for Striker. Like, she has become Striker and has captured Wolverine. So, all they like, they just completely ignored that that ever happened. The, this movie pretended that that scene did not exist because there's no result from it.
3: Yeah, Wolverine
1: um, is still captured. striker's still in charge, and now he's Weapon X.
3: Yeah, I, I know it, it rewrote a lot of the Wolverine story of him at the Alkali Lake. Like because we even saw you know the introduction into the X two film when we saw him exit. um you know, Akali, like has uh, been waking up from the program. So, like, this film and this particular scene completely rewrote over that canon as well.
4: Yeah, but, again, just because... Okay, so the way that Days of Future Past ends, we know that um, Raven, or Mystique, Raven, you know, she didn't stay on as Striker. We know that because that obviously didn't happen because she's off saving mutants. So we don't the gap between Days of Futures Past and this movie, we don't know. Stryker obviously still exists because he's in this movie as well. And so like to me, it to me it's just one of those things that they'll either put in like novel form, like like to fill in the gap to say, how did Wolver like how did Hugh Jack how did Wolverine get captured by eventually it seems that Stryker captures Wolverine? And brings him to Alkali
1: Lake, but, but yeah, well, we but we saw that we saw Wolverine get captured at the end of Days of Future Past. So right. it's like, but like it's it just it either they just couldn't figure out what to do with like Mystique being like having control over Wolverine at that point, or they just absolutely forgot that it happened. Like to me, it's not an excuse that like, oh, well it happens sometime in the time between movies. It's like no, something that significant that you're gonna make it one of the final beats of mm-hmm. the last movie, like that's important and either pay it off or like explain it. It, either, it, like explain it, either like pay it off or explain it away or it should not, it should not have been in Days of Future Past. They, they just, like, it was a blatant, just like getting getting your mythos wrong. And it's one of it's another one of the things that just like it, I this movie had against it. it is just like they weren't peop, somebody in the process wasn't paying attention.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> it is very unfortunate that again it did go that way and then it wasn't addressed in one way, shape, or form. Yeah. I I I agree.
4: Well, one of the original iterations though, they were going to have him um, show up, and he was going to be a quote unquote drill sergeant for 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 the younglings. Let's call them. And, you know, they scrapped that idea because they felt that Mystique or Jennifer's role should be... Like, that would step on her character arc in her role, which I completely agree. I mean, I really... I do like how that Mystique character, the Raven character, becomes into her own. So, you know, they wanted Wolverine in this in one way, shape, or form. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the lesser of two evils, I, I mean... You know, from when you start writing this, I'm not entirely... Okay, so they had the great ending at Days of Futures Past, but I don't think they were thinking so far ahead. They may have had plot outlines, but I think incorporating Wolverine, obviously, that wasn't the main through line that they wanted to do. So coming up and putting them back in... Like, you know, when the kids get abducted, they get abducted to Alkali Lake. It just makes sense because we know through the origin... Of what we've seen thus far, of where Wolverine ends up. So yes, I understand. You think very much about it. Doesn't make too much sense, but yeah, I don't know. Makes more sense than him being a drill sergeant, I think.
1: The whole scene was a little just like gratuitous. Of like, we need to have Wolverine in this movie, even though we don't need him for the story. Mm-hmm. So we'll just throw him in. Uh, just by to the way, him. For, yeah, for people who are uh, who are curious, uh, this is uh, what he looked like. What Weapon X Wolverine looks like in the comics, uh, um, a lot bigger headgear. <laughs>
2: well, it yeah, was that, the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: that,
0: that was pretty funny to see, was the headgear. It, it did make me laugh a little bit. Um, all right, let's talk about Psylocke. But before, let me tell you, let's take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about a great science fiction novel, uh, in fact, a trilogy of its own that you guys should check out. Um Let me give you the premise. Let's start there. What if today was the last normal day of your life? Cassie Sullivan thought she knew what tomorrow would bring, but she was wrong. We were all wrong. The first wave took our power, killing half a million people. The second wave put that number to shame with tsunamis that destroyed everyone within 100 miles of the ocean. Goodbye, coastal cities. And then the third wave came, and only the unlucky remained survivors of a virus that left only 3% of the world still standing. The fourth wave, uh, others became us, inhuman beings hiding behind human faces. And then at the dawn of the fifth wave, we had to choose, give up or get up and fight. But that was only the beginning. In the last days of Earth's remaining survivors, they will need to decide what's more important, saving ourselves or saving what makes us humans. Uh, Rick Yancey's number one New York Times bestselling novel, The Fifth Wave, introduces us to a group of young people struggling to survive in the aftermath of a catastrophic alien invasion. Its sequels, The Infinite Sea, and now the newly released The Last Star follow them through a series of battles um, battles and betrayals as they fight the ultimate war between life and death, hope and despair, love and hate. Entertainment Weekly calls the series remarkable, not to be missed under any circumstances, and urges fans to just read it. USA Today hails this as a modern sci-fi masterpiece, and the best-selling author of The Passage, John Cronin, raves in his New York Times book review, calling the fifth wave wildly entertaining. The highly anticipated finale is here and will leave readers stunned. That is the last star. And where can you get it? Well... At fifthwavebooks.com. That's fifthwavebooks.com. So if you're a fan of this, the X Men, you will be a fan of this. Is
4: fifthwavebooks.com the only place, or could I go to my Barnes and Noble? I, that's the to easiest get place get it for my
0: Nook. It's the easiest place Kindle? to get it all, baby. Just go there. They have
4: d- digital download for that. Get Last in there. Die.
0: <laughs> get in there. It's the easiest place. That way, you know, the less thinking you have to do, the better Especially for Dimitri. Is there a
4: weapon? Yeah, you're right.
2: (laughs) All
0: right. Um, So Psylocke, um, Olivia Munn, uh, in in a way, almost like you could consider she bullied her way into this because of her love of the X Men. Um, And Simon Kimberg, uh, he says that he enjoyed having Olivia as part of the cast because she, because of her knowledge, and she was able to uh, really help with story, or so he says.
3: it's cool. I mean, I like Olivia Munn. She's great in the newsroom, and she, I think she's a really talented actress and whatnot. It was cool to see her. I again, I think this is one of the characters that should have been developed more because she had one maybe cool moment when she flipped into this, into the scene and tried to like be badass. But I'm like that. It was that it, and I felt she was completely underutilized, and especially for being one of the four horsemen, she could have done a lot more.
0: I think so too. I think she 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 ended up being in a lot of cinematography, um, you know, frames as as just kind of in the background, either her face or her lower body, obviously because she's a good-looking woman. That I I, I, (laughs) that's I think that's how she was most utilized in the entire movie. I mean,
1: yeah, she she looked good on screen, but that was about that was about it. Like they she didn't talk. We weren't given any backstory on her character, any of her character's motivation, or like why she joins Apocalypse, other than the fact that he respects her as someone who's powerful. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I, it's <laughs> like, I, I, Psylocke's a character I'm not super familiar with from the books. It's just like, there's a ton of X-Men. I'm just, I haven't read a ton of her stories. And I left with as about as much information about what she could do, or like what, what she could be going for as I did when I started the movie.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I just, to me, she was badass, you know, at, at the beginning, as being um, that that mutant traitor, I, I forget his name, that she's supposed to be that person's bodyguard. The movie's not ca- What is it? Caligan? Caliban? Caliban. It, Wasn't right? it Caliban? The movie's not called Psylocke. It, it's, it's X-Men. She's not part of this team. I mean, I could see her eventually siding on Magneto's side. She, uh, from what I understand, her costume was the most... Closest what resembles the costume in the books um, than any other costume within the X Men uh, movies, <clears throat> and she had that great fight at the end. I mean, I thought you know she was great. I you know I I wasn't I didn't need any character development from that character.
1: But but you know like, I didn't you need can't, that. But you need but like <clears throat> then why then why bother to have her at all? I mean maybe I'm spoiled for movies like Avengers and Civil War. But those movies have shown that you can have a massive cast and still give every single yeah, character th- an arc and give them a reason to be there. Because there's no like if you're just putting in characters to put them there, it's a waste. It's it's, but a, again, it's a waste. You're, of screen you're talking time.
4: about a series that takes like five years to get to where they are, and you get to in each character had their own movie. When when, when I'm kidding, these four horsemen of the apocalypse, outside of Magneto. I don't, to me, they're, they're, they're just strong mutants. I didn't need, I don't need I don't need much information but, but on Psylocke. But
1: Storm is a perfect example of, like, she had a limited amount of screen time, but they used the screen time that they gave her to give her a clear motivation and an arc. She was somebody who had no power in her life because she was a homeless outcast because she was a mutant. And she looked up to Mystique as somebody who she could... Aspire to be, and then she met Apocalypse, somebody that might be able to give her that ability to be that bigger person, and then she learns as she goes, as she sees Apocalypse attacking Mystique, this isn't the thing that I thought it was, okay, and go- she grows from that, but we didn't get any kind of, even hint of like what Silo uh, uh, wanted. Yeah, I'm just gonna bring
4: this back up again. X-Men, Storm is an X-Men character that we've known since the first X Men movie, but it's if irrelevant
1: remember, to what we got from her, what what Halle what Halle Berry did in the future didn't affect the way that we saw her in this movie. It was but just she was also
4: the, in Days of Future's Past and Lat. But what I'm saying is like that movie. character
1: and just in this movie, in a vacuum, this movie alone, the character right. of Storm had a good arc that I could follow and I could get invested in this take on the character. Sure. And if you it like look if you, it's not about the characters that had movies to build them up. Again, just to use Civil War as an analogy, is another big cast superhero movie, Spider Man like again, it doesn't it's not about your attachment to the character before, but we met him, we instantly knew what that character was like, what he was going to do what he his dynamic in the in the team that he was put in and on the people he was fighting against. He fit and we knew what he was going to do and why he was there. Silak was just thrown in to be somebody who could like throw around other characters. Yes, you're
4: right. I yes. mean, Silock is and Spider-Man?
1: And yeah. that's, well, no, but like, I'm just, they introduced, they, I only use Spider-Man because they introduced him in that movie. They didn't give, he didn't have other setup. And look, Silock is a character that we're not at all familiar with. So right. he, she needs so. she needs that setup even more. Otherwise it's just, it's it's just bad filmmaking from a writing standpoint, from a directing standpoint. That like, if, if you're not gonna give the character, give us some reason to connect with this character, don't put her in. Yeah, I disagree.
4: Because mm-hmm. to me, I didn't care. She was there. She was badass. Exactly. She did what she was care. supposed to
1: you do. Should, you should care. You should care why about should every should, I, character. Why should I care
4: about C- Psylocke? Why, like, why? I Exactly. I just don't
1: get but, it. That's, that's, that's my point. Why should you care? And yeah, if you don't, did. then why should you put her... Why, did the, why would the filmmakers put her in this movie if they don't want you to care?
4: Okay. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but your comparisons, you're talking about Spider-Man and Psylocke. I mean, you're making references, like, you're talking about a, a C character, at best, who's in this movie, who has a function to be a four horseman. Okay. I don't care about her background at this point. Better, She's a better analogy,
1: Maria Hill in The Avengers. Maria Hill... D-list level character. You don't know who Maria Hill is if you've never seen or read a comic book. But that character has a very clear arc from the beginning to the end of that movie about whether or not they should trust the Avengers and utilize them. What she should do, whether she should trust Nick Fury versus the the board of shadowy figures, as I call them. Like, that character has very few scenes, but a lot to do. Phil Coulson has a lot to do, a lot of growth. There's no reason that you have to be, you have to settle on giving a small character nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And Olivia Munn is such a brilliant actress, Mm -hmm. it was a waste. Brilliant? Have you watched the newsroom? She's a fantastic fantastic actress. She has great. She's one of my
3: favorite characters in the newsroom, and that's why I was very upset that they didn't utilize her talents and ability in this film. Because I think to to add to this point, like Angel, we even got a little bit of a backstory with him. Like he he was a fighter, and he got wounded, and then Apocalypse gave him better wings. So like even from that small little bit. Of a storyline for him, I can understand how Angel got onto Apocalypse' mm-hmm. side, but again with Silac. still didn't understand why she she g- joined them. Nope. So like I for did, yeah, and so like we we understood Storm, we understood Angel, we understood Magneto, but we didn't understand Psylocke.
4: Yeah, I thought she anyway. just sided with 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 Apocalypse because hey, this he's the big dude in town. I'm gonna follow him. I, you know, he's he's gonna take me. He's gonna enhance my powers better than they are already. I didn't need a whole, you know, this wasn't a Psylocke movie. She was just one of these four horsemen. Even, even Angel, like again, what do I know about him? I, I know nothing about him, really. And I didn't need to. I, I didn't need to know anything about those the, the, those C characters that came into this movie that really didn't have much impact. On you know, I, I wanted to focus on Apocalypse if we're talking about the villains, and I wanted to talk and I wanted to focus on Eric and what his decision ultimately was going to, you know, do. These other people, they were going to be in big fights, and that was a great fight scene at the end, where Psylocke was really used with that sword, and I, I love that fight scene at the end, but,
1: but that's at the thing, end of the if day,
4: she walks away, and she'll end up being in another movie, or whatever they decide to do with that character.
1: Yeah, but that's the thing, like, if they didn't want to use her character to give her time, then they could have put Cyclops in there as like one of the horsemen that he recruits. I'm not saying that that's the right move, but like, you're developing that character, so give that use that screen time. Like you're already got a two-hour, twenty-minute movie, uh, then you you don't have enough time to spare for all your characters. So you can lose a few. You don't have to have all of these people in there.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Um, all right. Any uh, any other characters you guys want to talk about before we head into Easter eggs and then kind of? Uh, well, what do we t-
4: Do we want to talk a little bit about character design, or do we want to talk? I mean, did we talk about? Did we talk about Raven Mystique?
0: In uh, general, I
4: mean, there, there's another. I mean, you know, we, we, we talked big A-list actress and
0: yeah, uh, sure, let's, let's do it. I mean, ultimately, we're not going to get in depth as with everything that we can. Um, just FYI, <laughs> you know, for fans out, if you you know, otherwise, we'd be here for twenty hours. But let's talk. Uh, let's talk Mystique.
4: You know, and again, I uh, what I was saying earlier too. I think they gave more to Mystique or Raven Mystique. In this movie, than they had, even more so in the last two movies, and I really think that that this character's grown into that leadership role. My only question, as I was, I was just the, that while while I was watching the movie, you know, has Jennifer Lawrence come to the point? Do you think she was? She's so in tune with Katniss. I mean, it was very like when she was taking charge. I was thinking eh, she's just doing Katniss. Like, is there? Is she coming to a point where, you know, I know she's going to be in this big science fiction movie coming up. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to say anything bad as an actress, but did she sort of kind of phone this this performance in?
0: There's literally rankings online where, that have Jennifer Lawrence as like, you're just sleepwalking through this entire thing, unfortunately.
3: And that's terrible because I think Jennifer Lawrence is a great actress herself. Like, if you take her out of the sci-fi genre, she's a really strong actress in, in other ways. And, and I think, I think again, that goes with the Hollywood. She She's become such a big star that because she is so big, they mm-hmm. had to build her character because people just want more screen time watching her. So let's give her something. Let's give her a story. And, again, I think that's where, like, there was a lot of character imbalances because some people got more screen time and some people didn't who should have and but i think jennifer lawrence she she did great for her scenes and her roles i as a viewer i have a hard time believing that she could step into this leadership role because she is such a conflicted character and knowing what is to become in the future if you're going to kind of go canon we know that she kind of reverts back to her evil mis- misdemeanors and her evil right. ways or i shouldn't say evil but like her more dubious ways so I had a hard time believing she could be good in a leadership role, knowing that she's going to be bad in the future. Right.
1: Yeah, I thought story wise, they did good by her character. I think I said this earlier, but like the the pat, her path towards being more of a hero, basically because of the events of Days of Future Past, and like that small change in her history set her on this path that we see now in this movie, and that makes sense to me. That works. It's a di- it's different than what we expected, and I like it. I do agree, Jennifer Lawrence just like. It's not that anything she did was bad per se. It was just like there was nothing we know she's capable of so much right. from every from all of her performances yeah. and either the script didn't give her that or she just didn't add she didn't add that in herself. So it was, I don't know if it's the the script and the directing to blame or it's her as an actress. It could be either side or both. It's just it wasn't it wasn't to the top of what she is capable of. Yeah,
3: I agree. I think her performance was nothing out of her wheelhouse. It was everything we know she's capable of and she didn't have any scenes that I was like, oh, that's Oscar worthy. You know, it, it, I think it was something that was very much her comfort zone and it was nothing more.
0: Well, I think there's a difference between, like, I don't think, you know, James McAvoy, you know, in Atonement, that's you know that that's something different versus no, but yeah. versus no, Charles I, I Xavier. What, yeah, I know. Like what I, don't, know. I don't think he's you know no offense. I don't think he's necessarily stretching as far as he could as yeah. Charles Xavier. Right. But I think there's a difference between again the way he necessarily did it versus yeah. I I think just something to Zach's point. She's done better. Right. W- even with less.
2: Yeah. Yeah. She's I done just, more it, with it, less.
4: And again, it's not that it hurt the movie, and and. It was a good story arc for that character. And she's been playing this character for a while. It's been great. I mean, you but know. But talk about most, Hugh Jackman. How long is it, you know? Talk well, he's about the guy. only one that's been
3: in every, every X-Men, X-Men movie.
4: You know, you yeah. talk about like. Talk about some,
3: consistency.
0: Yeah, but talk about someone who could have phoned it in. They, you know, I mean, we didn't necessarily get all that much out of it. But, sure. you know, we talked about it enough where, it, 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 regardless, like, it made an impact. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And he. You know, if yeah. he phoned it in, in any way, shape, or yeah. form, I and don't think it could
4: have been I, the worst thing. I sort of kind of j- just got that she was just channeling a little, you know, a little bit of working on Hunger Games. You know, it, it was just a weird thing. It's like she's a great character, Mystique and Raven, and Jennifer Lawrence is a very talented actress, well beyond her years. Um, I was just wondering, watching this movie, if I was like the only one going. No, there know. are plenty of people. Interesting, mm-hmm. Interesting.
1: Well, you know, I mean. I think she's just well aware, and they even said it in the movie, the third one in the franchise is always the worst.
3: It's mm. so meta.
1: <laughs> that was so just like, I couldn't tell if they were just making a, a, a joke at the expense of The Last Stand, or if they were self-aware that like, yeah, this movie's not going to be as good as you hoped.
4: Yeah, and, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the Star Wars reference that they used. I mean, we can go through this debate day in, day out. And it just goes back, yes, Return of the Jedi may not be as good as as, say, Empire Strikes Back, the movie previous, but it's not a bad movie. No, 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 <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not a bad movie. And that's where I sort of kinda go with like Apocalypse. No, I don't think it's as good as Days of Future's Past, but that still doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Days of Future Past really set a high bar storytelling and such. You know, to me, this is a good movie. We have, like, a ton to talk about. That scene was very meta. I liked the Return of the Jedi reference. For me, a little least... They had Up the Academy, which is a Mad Magazine movie, their first and only movie released theatrically that had um, the karate kid Ralph Macchio was in it. The only thing was the times in lineup, but, I like, the mere fact that they put that up on a marquee along with Return of the Jedi was hysterical to me. Um... And it may help answer some of our questions that we had. Remember when we did um, Nice Guys, we talked 1977 and Star Wars. Well, at the very, I stayed for the very end credits to this movie, and apparently they did, they they said thank you to Lucas or allowing permission to use the poster and mm-hmm. such for Return of the Jedi. So mm-hmm. that may be why they they didn't have that in the Nice Guys. I didn't think he needed permission to put that out, up on a movie marquee, Jeez, but I found it to be very interesting.
1: Doesn't mm. Fox have some amount of, like, dist- or they did have distribution at one point? They used to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's probably, I mean, they probably just had better access since they, at, the, at that that's time, true. it was a Fox distributed it was Fox. picture. Yep. Yep. yep.
4: So, one thing, too, that I found very interesting is um, Oscar Isaacs as uh, you know, as Apocalypse yeah. too. Yeah. You know, this could have been a character that he could have played it very well over the top, or almost too subdued. I thought it was fine. What I really, what I, I found the most fascinating was, it wasn't it wasn't motion capture, like this. This I was a <laughs> this was a ton of makeup and a costume that took over three and a half hours for him to get into every day. And I was like, well, that's sort of kind of refreshing. That's like. You know, using models instead of CG, mm-hmm. um, and and I thought Oscar Isaac's again. This guy's just like on a roll. I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good. I mean, whether you, whether whether you like the character or not, it's it's nice to see him where he can play this opposite of a Poe Dameron character, and it's it's and he's
0: almost yeah. I mean, the unrecognizable. Part, Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think I that's the thing. Thing to me, like to me, it wasn't Oscar Isaac. Yeah, and obviously, you, you know, it, it's just. Um, Yeah, he was very much in that way, and he just kind of went with it. So much so, you know, uh, I think Marissa pulled the information for this in terms of his voice, right, Right. and why they chose to do it in that way. Like, you know, he was very much not a human, therefore not Oscar Isaac.
4: Yeah, and and it's funny, it was always his voice. It was through ADR that they changed...
3: And his, his voice. and they also doubled up on his yeah. voice to make him sound even more have more re- yeah. uh, weight to yeah. him, and and I think with you know, just the physical appearance a lot when I was watching him I completely forgot Oscar Isaac was right. doing this performance because that's how uh you know intimidating i guess apocalypse was physically like he had a strong presence and i was afraid of him i would not want to cross apocalypse and i think that just goes to you know the great makeup and character design and just how good oscar isaacs is as an actor for me to forget that was him just to get lost into his performance i thought he did a great job and you know just uh for the character development apocalypse in the comics, he, he's known for like having a big, physical, threatening stature, and here Oscar because is a smaller guy, and they had to put him up on six inch risers yeah. for they his character, so I think, you know, just the physical transformation, I think, was really well done.
4: Yeah, and I want to uh, further your point regarding his voice, and they doubled up. So they basically, in addition to a standard Sennheiser microphone, uh, they used a bass mic near his right cheek, and to his left cheek, he, they used a bass drum mic, like a musician's mic, so he could pull vocal tones that would not normally be heard by the human ear. With three microphones at his face, Oscar always had to keep his head in the right spot. <laughs> that's crazy, that's yeah. crazy. So I think that's, uh, yeah, I just found that to be in his costuming and what they needed to get through to put him in it, I think, uh, and then it wasn't motion capture. And you know, you really do have to perform. So yeah, that's great.
0: Well, towards the you know this this is the this is the first time where we kind of get all uh, four blue mutants all together. So for that, um, I forget the exact uh, whatever it was. um, But towards the end of it, uh, it took thirty costume dressers um, to put them into basically uniform and camera ready for those shoot dates. Wow. So I mean, again, you have him taking four uh, taking three hours. Um, one of the Jennifer Lawrence's big things is she always hated that blue suit. Right. And then you have the you have Beast, you have Nightcrawler. Um, am I missing anyone blue? Well, no.
4: let's right. catch this. The the costume designer Louise um, Meganbach, like she estimates that the production had gathered around hundred thousand pieces of wardrobe by the end of the shoot and dressed between two to three thousand people. That's a lot of evil.
3: (laughs) That's a lot of extras. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I do kind of like the physical difference of Mystique's appearance compared to, you know, Rebecca Remain's appearance. Because hers was, like, actually painted on. Like, poor Rebecca had to sit for hours getting that painted on rather than being a suit and all those individual flakes and whatnot and scales. Um, So, like good at rebecca's part back 10 years ago so uh i think that just shows just how much time has changed and the character right has changed as well
0: yeah yeah absolutely, absolutely. yeah, yeah. yeah. You th-
1: there's a couple of moments where if they went in close-ups i'm like you can tell it's a suit oh yeah def-
3: i i had that clear thought watching this i was like yeah that that's all one piece right now yeah
1: <laughs> yeah the, like the parts that don't have the little, uh, the little scales on their <laughs> arms. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, oh, yeah, that's a leotard.
2: hmm Yeah.
0: Um, one of the things, so, uh, you know, particularly with Psylocke, Storm, Cyclops, and Mystique, the outfits and the characters' looks were designed to pay homage to their comic book counterparts differently from past films when X-Men used standard uh, black uniforms. Cyclops' costume was taken from uh, Jim Lee's blue and yellow design in the ni- ni- 1990s. There you and go. So, yeah. yeah, very cool. Um, editing wise, so let's get to editing. Um, obviously, John Ottman, the great John Ottman, uh, also edited this and also did the score. And the rough cut came in about uh, two hours and.
3: 27 minutes. The
0: rough, the oh, rough oh, cut? Oh, the rough
3: cut? Oh, sorry, I thought you <laughs> like, were talking about the whole. That's the a rough good cut. rough cut! <laughs> no. <laughs> You're
0: right. John Hamm <laughs> better thinking, than I
3: thought. The whole running time. <laughs> no, no, Not no. Bad. The
0: rough cut was uh, close to two hours and fifty minutes. Um, so a lot of the stuff that they ended up cutting was the 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 Jubilee um, mall scene. Which Zach, do you do you have the video ready? I know you guys mentioned. Um,
1: um, well, there was uh, there was this cool. Uh, it, it's like an ad, basically for for Xavier's school with Jubilee. So I thought it'd be fun to. Uh, to it's showcase to take a look at it for for a second definitely takes it's so funny in
3: the 80s <laughs> sometimes being gifted doesn't feel like a gift nobody seems <laughs> so to understand you sometimes they're even scared of you they, okay. they even
1: put the tracking marks <laughs> in <laughs> Great
3: it's you very yeah. in the green Hi, I'm Jubilee, and it wasn't that long ago when I felt that way, too. She has more but to say in this ad than a the entire film. For gifted youngsters and everything changed. Yeah,
0: what was the fascination with Jubilee? I never really fully understood it. I mean, I'm
2: she's famous. just, like, You'll a
1: fan-favorite character from the cartoon, really. Like I think more than anything else.
2: But
3: what did she true true. do? Under the
2: guidance
3: yeah, of and of that's the thing. It was like, I was watching this film I was just trying to recall, like, when did we ever really see Jubilee in this film? We did
2: We just saw her,
1: like, in a classroom basically yeah and that was like,
3: it was just like she went it. to the mall so she them? when you can make some excellent <laughs> news here Xavier's well, is no ordinary but she was student. in the car Let's face it you're no ordinary student thanks jubilee you were right <laughs> <Xavier's> <laughs> totally rad. operators are
1: standing by
2: can <laughs> we call the number so <laughs> 80s i did
4: you
1: did you notice whose voice that was at the stanley. end stanley yep <laughs>
4: that's just great
1: uh yeah if you call the number stanley answers Oh, wow, it's like there's nice. nobody here, Excelsior. <laughs> <laughs> That's
3: oh, awesome.
0: Very cool. Um, and there was also a deleted scene between Scott and his brother, Alex.
3: Yes, which um, I think would have added more weight to, uh, you know, Alex death supposed death on screen because we know that followed a big action scene and then it's like oh he died and but the audience didn't see it because it was off screen so we always have to wonder did he really die because we didn't physically see it so and I think had they kept the scene between his brother uh, and you know Scott and Alex saying goodbye to each other I would have believed it more if Alex really died because that would have been a conclusion a goodbye closure scene
0: yeah but I I think it goes again like how many times do you get to say goodbye knowingly, like this is going to be someone's last time? Like you know, I, I hate, I hate that portion of movies because it's like, oh great, they got their you know, yeah. um, you know, and and so I I'm I'm just not a fan of it ultimately.
4: I'm, I'm just like they they were able to, uh, for Blu-ray and home and you know home entertainment wise for for Days of Future's Past, like because we had. We talked to John, he was here for that movie, and he talked uh candidly about Rogue being really cut out of that movie that they had what they uh, he even called the rogue cut um but they just excised it for time wise and such, but they put those scenes back in for 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 a blu ray of has yeah, anyone seen this yeah I have. yeah,
1: yeah it's a yeah. great it's a great like it. uh cut like it, it it doesn't change it like. It, it changes it enough that it actually is not, like, just, agreed. like, a meaningless deleted scene. Like, it does affect the characters.
2: Yeah, agreed. Um,
1: agreed. But, yeah. like, I can see why, like, when you're trying to hit a time mark that, like, because yeah. that's already a long movie. And then, like, the road cut is even, is like, 10, 12 minutes longer. Yeah. So, like, I get why they did it. But if you're going to rewatch it, like, yeah, watch the road cut. It's, it's Absolutely. It's not, like, light years better, but it is a cooler story. Yeah. Okay,
0: I mean that's that's good to hear because oftentimes, trust me, there, there's plenty of people like, oh, I wish I got to see the. the I'm like, there's a reason things sometimes sure. are cut, yeah. and so I'm glad only, that's there, not the case.
4: Outside of that movie, you know, um, the only person who I've known that's been able to have gotten away with adding more and making it like so you're not just watching the deleted scenes is like James Cameron, his extended version of T2, and 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 um, the, the well, the Abyss is a completely different movie. Once you put in the stuff that he took out for the theatrical release, and that's
3: a long movie. That, itself. that is a long Shoot. movie.
4: So, but but yes, um, just just to reiterate, yeah, the the uh, Days of Future Past, the road cut, I, I believe it's also been on like cable, like and it'll even say like on HBO or whatnot. It'll say road cut. But if you get a chance, I don't know if it's streaming on Netflix. I have the Blu Ray. It's available out there. It's it's worth seeing.
0: I mean, right right now, it's being replayed a lot on VOD and, and right. Various mm-hmm thanks
4: so. and and i remember because he had to go back because they took that out before he actually scored the movie Yeah, he, he had he to could go only back. score what
0: they had because right. he didn't have mm-hmm. any time
4: and and he from a scoring purpose they had to go back in and score that extra 12 14 minutes to mm-hmm. put in there so you know i wonder if they i wonder maybe they'll have the mall the mall cut <laughs> <laughs> i,
0: I it is I don't know what the mall
4: would add, unfortunately. Yeah. Outside of maybe yeah. some humor, yeah, it,
1: it's yeah. the perfect thing for the deleted scene Absolutely. section of a of a DVD or Blu Ray. Yeah, Like it, I want to see it. I didn't need it in the movie, yeah. right? Because
3: apparently the mall scenes, everything that they cut from the mall, was just all the you know Gene Scott and Jubilee all just having fun at the mall, yeah. being teenagers more sure. so. We don't need to see that because yeah. we already know what that's like. Yeah.
1: But but again, like similar to the thing with like Magneto, like I think I was seeing, I was saying with um. With uh, Jesse Klein, one of the other hosts here, because we saw it together. and It's like I want to see the Harry Potter esque version of X Men, where we're just like living with the kids in the school and seeing the drama around. Because that's a lot of the X Men comic books as well. Is just like these kids going to school, and then like yeah, there's like battles and stuff they have to go for when there's evil out in the world. Like the Brotherhood of of mutants like comes attacks. Oh, we have to fight them now. But it's all built around them, just like. Growing up and like being in a school for people that are different, Dude. like that's a fascinating story to me. Right. What happens when you go out to the mall with Nightcrawler? Yeah, that's a cool story. That's an interesting story and something that and I absolutely want to see. Him? Nightcrawler, yeah, he's a mutant. People know what mutants are. Yeah, like I don't think there's like, and that's the thing, like again, like to like. W- X-Men, like, if you if you want... if What X-Men is at its core, and that's, like, what all of these comic book movies need to find, is, like, what is the story at its core? It's about people that are outside of society and struggling to deal with persecution. It, it, like, Nightcrawler going out is the same as, like, what if... And again, because, like, the, the gay analogy has been in there since day one of X-Men, what if two... Uh, of a gay couple went out to the mall and started holding hands as they walk they would have problems with people in that small town They're exactly the same thing that Nightcrawler is going to deal with as he walks through the mall that's a movie I want to see and I hope that Fox goes on the next one and goes smaller with it like goes to that point where it's like X-Men the like, mall folk, X-Men, <laughs> X-Men the mall But like X-Men and the Order (laughs) of the Phoenix. Like that's the next
3: movie. (laughs) That'd be awesome.
1: (laughs) If they title it that, I want all the royalties. Fair enough.
2: For these two very popular things that are matching And then
4: you'll have to pay J.K. Rowling. And (laughs) then Warner Brothers. So good luck with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Very, very good. Very good. Um uh, by the way, speak, going back to music, uh, in addition to Sweet Dreams, The Four Horsemen is a, sound, is, is a song in the movie, obviously, referring to The Four Horsemen, played, of mm-hmm. course, by Metallica. Yeah. So it goes back to that punk rock angel song, which I thought, you know, I obviously, <clears throat> it's a good song selection. I thought it was just, just a little much, I don't know, in that scene, maybe because I'm not a big Metallica guy.
3: Yeah, me neither. I was like, okay, I understand the 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 tone of what the scene is supposed to be he's fighting. Right. Got it.
0: But um but in terms of the actual score, my my fa- like the opening with Egypt and everything like that, um I, I thought that was it was just so grand between the cinematography and just the way Egypt looked and then and then that
4: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it worked. We talked a little John Ottman when we did Nice Guys, and, like, you know, he's having one hell of a year. I mean, you know, he's had two movies come out within two weeks of each other that he's had a hand in, you know, in in being creative at. And I think X-Men Apocalypse, and this movie is, I think, just perhaps his most accomplished Um, You know, you talk about that Egypt scene, I mean, we're not just talking orchestration, we're talking about, like, a type of a choir, like a men's kind of thing. Like, that's Jerry Goldsmith, the omen, like, you know, hinting, like, because you have that, that ominous, oh, like that which which is unsettling and such in the Egypt and then transitioning from that going into that amazing i thought the title, title sequence,
2: sequence was, was
4: amazing and if you saw this in a premium large format screen in 3D that title sequence was awesome so you're from from a music standpoint you're going from this Egyptian setting up apocalypse and then going into this superhero like type theme I, it, it was brilliant Brilliant,
3: brilliant. I mean, I agree, not to keep <clears throat> rehashing what you just said, yep. but going from Egypt that had its own sound and chanting, yes. ethereal kind of voice that is the creepiness of the Egyptian culture, not to, you know, offend anyone, but like <laughs> it has a, a very scary element yeah. to to Egypt and then, you know, going through that whole amazing timeline kind of transition that right. they had showing like all the the worldly things by decade. I was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. To literally bring the audience back to, like, today's time of 1983, 84. Yeah. Um, I like that because it transitioned from Egyptian type of music to, like, the modern-day music of that yeah. time. To, you know, when we had Angel and the Four Horsemen in Metallica. Yeah. So, like, two completely different sounds within, like, a few minutes of yeah. each other. Neat.
4: Yeah, it was, you know, in his score... Um, yeah, it, like I said, he really he brings together his orchestration in a much more refined way than he has. Um, like I, I think that you know his Superman Returns score is is a fantastic homage to John Williams. Yet he throws in his own his own like flair to it and. Uh, Days of Futures Past is another amazing score, and yet he can do a Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is much smaller, and The Nice Guys, which is 70 Didn't, didn't, didn't
0: he have only four weeks for Days of Future Past?
4: He had a very, yeah, and then, not only that, but editing-wise, if you remember, uh, they, they asked for some changes yeah. at the very last minute, so he had to edit and and score and score some things yeah. I, I would like to know the yeah, print the print came very wet for days of futures past
0: doesn't it always yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would like to know how much time he, he had yeah. on both um, which we might get a chance yeah. to do it's looking like probably next week so you know if you want to talk more uh, nice guys and X-Men we'll have John Ottman 90% in let's say let's say why not let's say <laughs> so he's Dimitri's good friend
4: oh yeah yeah yeah, he, he emails Your me back. That's, that's so. Oh, that's more yeah, than great. most that's people. More than mo- You're right. It's more than most people do. Most people don't even he's have his email not. to. He's been very kind. <laughs>
0: so indeed, indeed. All right, let's talk promotion. Um,
4: well, we saw that great clip, which was awesome. That was hysterical. Of jubilee,
0: absolutely. I want I want to get you guys the. You know, there's obviously a lot of great promotion um, that came out of this, but then all, all of a sudden, um, there's. There's the poster, right? It's a billboard ad of Apocalypse Choking Raven, which I yes. thought was a great scene. Which, ironically, I will say this I thought Raven should have died in that scene. But we're mm. neither here nor there. <laughs> but
3: you can't kill Jennifer Lawrence. We're neither here nor there. You can't kill America's sweetheart.
0: It's all right. It's so. like you want to Fonka Genseman. I thought. I
3: know. She have I, I did want to Fonka Genseman. And I'm very disappointed she wasn't in this one. If you're going to have Jean Grey, you might as well have the adult version of Jean Grey because she's awesome too. Um,
0: neither here nor there we digress sure. yes we do Re- actress Rose McGowan went on record saying there is a major problem when the men and women at 20th Century Fox think casual violence against women is the way to market a film as told by Hollywood Reporter But what do you guys think of this because I mean uh, here's here's this the, the in- billboard in question yeah mm. I mean
3: I think she does have a point Good on Rose McGowan for saying this. I love Rose McGowan. She's an amazing actress, too. I, I think for promotional-wise, like, hey, I think the audience at this point were all fans of Mystique. And to see a villain take out Mystique, that would want the audience to go see it. Like, what's happening? You can't do this. So I'd get for promotional. The, the violence aspect, I don't think is the best billboard they could have had for this. I
0: don't think the problems with violence. It's... I, I think to me, number one, there, there was a better way to mark, like there's a better ad out there than this that will make people want to see it. Yes. Because we, you know, I mean, they've proven that they can do it. Um, I've got, you know, I was always going to be sucked into this. It was X-Men, but I thought most of the marketing was clever. And this, it's a great image from the movie, obviously a very powerful one, but without any context, it What's doesn't happening? necessarily hold weight for me.
1: I mean, in terms of, like, as, a, as, a, as far as marketing the movie, I thought it, it, like, definitely feels threatening since Jennifer Lawrence as Mystique is a lot of people's, especially the mass audience's favorite character. So the idea that she's under threat is very, it's engaging in that, like, oh, my God, is she going to be okay? I have to yeah. see the movie. In terms of whether it's uh, bad in terms of promoting, like, if it's violence against women um, i mean this isn't it's not like this is the only billboard um that said i i I can't speak to that perspective of like if this is like offensive to people th- to victims of abuse um i mean it's a bad guy right uh, it, to be it's, fair it's mutant on mutant it's, crime it, it's it, not
4: yeah and it, it's it's almost <laughs> oh, God. well it will
1: i'm taking myself you, off the screen yeah, <laughs> Look, I,
4: I've all you know. I'm a huge proponent pr- proponent women on film, um, and and their 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 jobs and, and equal pay. Huge, huge proponent on this. When I saw this billboard, the first thing through my mind was not violence against women. Um, I think you 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 made a good point. Like it, we know Mystique is a strong character. She is a fan favorite. And when you put, when you have a character under this kind of duress, under this kind of a threat, you know, it, it could make it for the comic book crowd, for, for, for people who have been following X-Men. When you have your darling up under that kind of threat and pressure, there is, a, there is that thing of suspense. I didn't take it as man against woman violence until I saw that Rose McGowan article, like, which, which just came out not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And you know you put it up there, and it's like you know she's shaming Fox. Are we becoming too? Are we becoming so sensitive that like marketing campaigns? Like I get it. Can you be brilliant? Can you do a campaign that doesn't have this image in it? Yeah, you could. Um, but does this image really go out? I mean, it says X Men Apocalypse. Like this isn't. This isn't a woman in a refrigerator. Kind of, uh, which is a long-standing comic book issue about how comic books treat women. Um, this is this is a powerful scene in the movie, and how it plays out and what happens. You know, I think, oh wow, okay, so Mystique's in trouble. How is she going to get out of this? I was thinking more of character. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking of the grander scheme of, oh man, that 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 that's a vi- violence against women. Um, that that that's that's really in poor taste that's terrible but,
1: but i think the the issue is not that you immediately thought of that but what she's saying is that it's become something that's casually put up there to where you don't even notice it or think about the fact that it's violence against women i mean and to be fair like at you like you and i dimitri like we're two uh straight white men so like we don't get uh, like that's the thing is like I'm str- like Marissa did you like did you like as uh, sorry you have to be the uh, the only uh, woman that we can ask for in on this panel but like did you fi- did this make you feel uncomfortable at all as as a woman like that seeing this billboard
3: Honestly you know I didn't know about this billboard until we discussed it now but now that I hear that yeah I think it's really sad that we're at the point that we see it but we didn't even think it's violence against women. We just saw it as a promotional still for people to get their butts in the theaters. And I think that's just sad that maybe our audience is kind of just desensitized to Let that me, Here's the
0: thing. I, uh, Zach, if you can do some quick... Uh, I want to see what Jennifer Lawrence maybe said about this. Because obviously it's her that, that's and, in the image. I'm but, not
1: desensitized. The, the news came out today, so she may yeah. not have even responded yeah. yet. I don't think des- she will.
4: I'm not desensitized to to to, to um, utilizing and propagating violence towards women. There was a few years ago um, a, a billboard for a, a horror movie, I can't even re- recall its name, that was 100% exploitive. And, and I understood all of the criticisms against a woman who is bound up. Uh, you know, and this was a billboard. I didn't find this to be exploitive in a way against women, so to speak. I just It was mutant. You know, I get this is a mutant god character. This is our heroine mystique Raven who's in there, played by Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I, I didn't look at it that way until I see Rose McGowan come out on this. And I was like, oh, OK. Look, there's so much there, there, there's so much out there with women being treated unfairly in Hollywood. And and I'm, like I said at the top, I'm a big proponent of that. I get it, they should be treated more fairly. When I saw this billboard for the first time, this was not what came up. So what did you find?
1: Um, Well, uh, since we actually started airing, Fox has issued a statement uh, on the subject. um, And they said, They're apologizing. They said, in our enthusiasm to show the villainy of the character uh, Apocalypse, we didn't immediately recognize the upsetting connotation of this image in print form. Uh, Until someone, uh, they're saying, until someone called us out on it loud enough a week after the movie came out, once we realized how insensitive it was, uh, and then the statement continues. We quickly took steps to remove those materials. We apologize for our actions and would never condone violence against women. So Fox is listening, and they're, I guess they're going to take it down from at least where they are able to take, to take it down from.
0: To be fair, well, did the MPAA approve this? Yes. <laughs> so I'd be and, and, like, "Hey, yeah. all fingers at MPAA." I don't, well, I don't think they're, they're
1: saying f- they did anything necessarily
4: wrong. No, they're, they're, they're
3: doing th- they're doing the right but thing. But they're sens- yeah. they're yeah, no, now sensitive they're, and they are aware. They're, they're, they're doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah, I think it's great that like yes, not a lot of people love Rose McGowan, but I think Rose McGowan was great enough to point that out to people who weren't who didn't think about it, and I, and I think it's also because she didn't do it just to shame. Um, 20th century Fox. She did it. Do it. You know, she pointed that out to make people more aware of that. And it's not like a you know degrading in any way. It was a very professional way that she did it. And I think it's great that they're they're listening and they're actually taking that to heart.
0: Fair enough. So um, the other thing I wanted, uh, promotion wise, talk about before we get into box office. Um, so uh, in, in in a trailer version, there there was reference to. Krishna, uh, one of the one of the Hindu religious icons and uh, They made people got so upset that they made it take him out and it got taken out of the movie as well and I, I get upset by that because it's, it's no different than I mean apocalypse is trying to be God So he can be a Christian be the same way upset, but that's again. He's a false prophet like just that it's part of the storytelling that right. to me is different and I, I, I I'm upset that like just why people why? Why did that have to get taken out? What were you so effect- Like that's the whole point that this 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 is a right. villain,
4: right? You know, no. no I, uh, and again, it yes, I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree, but, but did Fox issue a, a, a we'll statement see. of apology? Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, so and again, Fox it. did the right thing. They had this thing coming out. They're they're doing what they you know they should be doing. But again, I you know. The religious thing, whether it's you know people on all fronts, we we I'm not even calling it desensitization. I didn't find it uh, exploitive. The the Krishna thing makes sense in this, and then you know, but when a studio has is forced, but it was in there as a
0: point. I get it. You know, yeah. that's my problem. With sure. It. Like, yeah, they strategic. They put it in the <clears throat> movie because yeah, the, he this guy believes he is everyone's god. Right.
2: Yeah.
4: But but it but isn't this as a point, like do you look at the raving character or the mystique character as being throughout the entire series a vulnerable character? Absolutely not. She's a very strong character. We know that she can fight. We know that she has great powers. So if she's being outpowered by somebody bigger than her. You know, I mean, doesn't that raise the stakes, much like if that's the point of a religious thing? And if you have takeout for the religious, then, you know, you take out for this, too.
3: Yeah, I I I think it's just you add the word religion to it and it's already going (laughs) to throw up. No, unfortunately, it's going to throw up red flags for a lot of people. I agree. And, I mean, everyone has the different beliefs and religions. And if you're going to offend a whole culture of that, then, yeah, maybe you should be sensitive to that, too. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Yeah. All right. So, well, we're uh, we're we're fast running out of time. I
4: wanted to talk did we are we going to do any Easter eggs at all cuz I mentioned something earlier. Let's do up let's right. do the
0: top ones. Yeah, sure. go ahead.
4: Well, for me it was my it was my favorite Easter egg of all and it's so paralleled and it, it it's so like it it's it mirrored the philosophy of what's going on in the movie. Um, so when he was learning from TV, All right. There was there was a television show uh, that was on that television show, even though you didn't see any of its iconic characters, that television show was Star Trek from the original series. And it was from an episode called called Who Mourns for Adonis? And basically, in a nutshell, what that episode is about is that the Enterprise, the crew of the Enterprise is captured by one of the original Greek gods, Apollo. OK, and he is alone on this planet and he wants worshipers and followers and the Enterprise comes by and he's like, oh, this would be fantastic. I'm going to capture them. I'm going to put them on. I'm going to put kidnap them, put them on this planet. They're going to have an amazing life so long as they worship me. And Captain Kirk is like, screw you, buddy. <laughs> that ain't happening. Like we don't know we we're, we're, you can't kidnap us. Tell us to worship you and force us into worship, you know, and you go, as the episode goes on, you realize the reason why they've left Earth is because on Earth, people stopped believing in gods, in various gods, and the gods just drifted away and disappeared into the ether. And Apollo, who just ended up on this planet, he wanted what every god wants is followers, and believers and he felt that this the crew of the you know the, the gallant valiant enterprise they were going to be his followers so I found it very interesting that that particular episode was chosen uh, to be the scene that was watching on TV and again unless you're a huge Star Trek nut like me like the, the Captain Kirk wasn't in it but as soon as I saw it I was like oh who mourns for Adonis thematically it's so tied into Apocalypse and
0: you have do you have that's John? Of, that is definitely, that John.
4: Is definitely conf- John I have confirmation on that because we know that John Ottman's a Star Trek and in, in, in an email I wrote and I said was that your idea? I go it looked like that was your idea and he wrote back he goes yeah that actually was and I was like well played that was fantastic but thematically and again they did it in Days of Futures Past where they again, uh, a security guard was watching an episode of Star Trek, and it was a time travel episode. But this one, I think, even more to the point, with false prophets, false gods, and gods wanting to take over because they want believers, they want followers. Mm-hmm. So, and that's you know where I took Apocalypse from. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, we'll skip a couple of the other ones unless someone has a really pertinent one. But I the, mean
1: the uh,
4: the post credit
1: sequence. Yeah. Uh, do you guys stay?
0: Yes. yes. We yeah. did. Um, you want to hold that for when we talk about sequels, Zach? Yeah,
1: sure. All right.
0: Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, if you want the rest of the Easter eggs, there's plenty of uh, articles and videos that are uh, equally as great. Um, so let's get into numbers. Um, not as much as people expected this to make, especially over Memorial Day weekend, unfortunately. Um, you know, but it got it, 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 it got a good audience score, A-minus. Yeah, so, for I, you know, I don't honestly understand why. And maybe you guys do. I mean, op- opening weekend, overall, 65 million. Right. That, you know, <clears throat> I would
1: have... You, you don't understand why it got a good audience score or why it didn't do well in the box office? Why,
0: why it didn't do so good in the box office with an A-minus cinema score.
1: Um, I mean, I'm, to be honest, I'm surprised that the cinema score is that high. I, I don't think this movie inspires repeat viewing. Um, like that, like Civil War, like I saw twice opening weekend and wanted to go back a third time, um, and I think for for comic book movies, that's probably why uh, it it does so well. I think Civil War coming out so recently also probably hurt it. Uh, people I th- didn't, yeah, I people think, weren't waiting for another superhero movie so quickly. Yeah, I think
3: it's Go like ahead. to that point. Again, we mentioned it at the top of this move mu- uh, di- dissection that this like the sixth comic book movie out, and I think at this point of the year, people are just maybe a little too over the head with comic book movies. Well, I you know
4: I mean you talk about repeat viewing; those grosses really don't really hit until like your midweeks, and they, they they'll. they'll give the good hold for second week. I mean, there's only so many repeat viewings that and again that 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 faction that percentage of those people who are going opening weekend four or five times. Like that's like you're getting a cross when 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 Civil War does that great. You're getting just a ton of people going to the movies um, you know, and you're getting a percentage of those people who will go see the movie once, twice, maybe three times. But a lot of the repeat viewings will take place during your midweeks, which leads to good holds during the midweeks and then a good hold for your second weekend. Now, you said it was an A minus on Cinema Score, but it's Rotten Tomatoes last check was about at 48%, mm-hmm. which is, I, I believe, um, Days of Futures Past was in the high 80s. I believe, or a high 80s, very low 90s. So, you know, critically, the movie was, it, it, it's sort of in that middle of the road. It I think 48% categorizes as rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, anything yeah. below like a 50 or 55. Days so, of Future
1: Past has a 91% <clears throat> there you go. on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. So it did significantly better than... Uh, I'm seeing fine. what a, what apocalypse is standing at as of now. It
4: was at 48.
3: Find okay.
4: Right now.
0: Uh, I have it at 49. So someone Could bumped be. it up. So
3: it's it's still fairly lower. Yeah.
0: Um, but you had uh, this 48, uh, 48 as it 48%. stands. 48 percent.
3: Yeah.
4: So you know what what I found very interesting. and, and again, is that I looked up last stand at 58 percent, and that to me, like that's that now. It shouldn't. That's not ten points higher than Apocalypse. Now, Wolverine received a thirty-eight percent. That's ten points lower than um, than Apocalypse. And I'm finally. I mean, you know, I'm talking about two really bad movies. Like there's no way, if people look at Last Stand, that you can say that that's a better movie than Apocalypse. I mean, not from a direction standpoint, from a story standpoint. I just don't understand. I don't get. I, I almost think that people really forget what bad movies are like.
0: To be fair, I don't, I'm not always on board with Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, and, me too. Like they, they, there's mean, some there's some <clears> ones that have like a 90. percent like, and yet, like let's say I, I again, this is not. I'm just pulling stuff out for example purposes. Let's say like Gone with the Wind has an 85. Versus again, like right. Days of Future, like I, is Days of Future Past potentially, you know what I mean? And it's like, how do, do they? I know, yeah. but
2: using it, the, those are research, also cause your that's what's out there.
3: yeah. Those yeah. are also your opinions of those two movies because there are some fans out there that really loved Wolverine and X Men: The Last Stand and might have put those movies higher than this oh, one have in, to their, say it's very in few. their taste.
0: I would have to say. Hey, listen well, I'm
3: speaking for the stand ones as a th- are for the few. <laughs> so, like you know, just to be devil's advocate. But it was like, an, and I think you know, the the critics and Rotten Tomatoes. It's it's again. I think at the end of the day, it's really your opinion of the movie, not yeah, what, what, what everyone else is saying. For what it's worth, I put
1: this movie on par with The Last Stand for me. No, oh. that's just that's 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 my opinion. Like I know people will differentiate, will have different opinions. But for me, uh, this like at least. Uh, the last stand like i knew why everyone was doing the things that they did they may have been bad decisions like but like i i got the why i got the threat of like the cure like that alone mm-hmm. was like a bigger threat to me than apocalypse
2: yep. yeah
0: to be fair i i will i will admit this i actually didn't mind the last stand i actually didn't to be honest it was it I'm kind of good on that, as as other that. stuff no but i didn't mind it um all right let's talk about uh let's talk about the sequel right uh, mr sinister of the essex corporation zach since this was your easter egg and you wanted to get to it most
1: oh i mean i open us for up for me like this this implies that they're fi- that they're going to do it can sort of is more fuel to the fire of a, of a rumor that's been going around for a while which is that the next uh incarnation we're gonna get we're gonna get x uh a character called x-23 Mm-hmm. Okay. um which X23 is a is the female clone of Wolverine uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh who's very popular right now in the in the comic books uh all the current run all new uh wo- all new all different Wolverine is uh is her uh Logan is uh not the the lead Wolverine uh, lead character in the Wolverine book um and she's a fantastic character and like so they them taking the blood the the DNA of Wolverine like away is like oh well now in uh the ne- in Wolverine 3 we're probably going to get X23 that was the implication to
0: me this is a way to finally retire Hugh Jackman and but still have Wolverine yeah to you me. can
1: you can well that's the way you can still have Wolverine running around in terms of like how you use him in fight sequences and like just like battles and all that but you don't have to recast such a a, a, a role that is so tied to one actor yeah. as it is with Hugh Jackman and Wolverine.
4: <laughs> well, and, and talk the, about,
3: you know, having a an, a female lead and a, very, a strong female lead. There you go. And
4: while plot details about the threequel are scarce, we do know that Richard E. Grant has been cast as a villainous mad scientist type which potentially fits under the Mr. Sinister to a T. Mm-hmm. So... Um, and that's to be into the you know Wolverine three, so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I think so
0: too. Um, and uh, you know he Singer is not going to be in the next film um, right away. Uh, Ken is also taking a quick break. Um, whether or not they come back remains to be fully seen. But um, you know I think I think they're open to it, but just they just need a break right now.
1: I I think I'm totally on board for that. The the X Men franchise needs a new voice. Yeah. Uh, more than anything, it need like I mean I'm excited for stuff like the new mutants. Um, like they haven't really announced who what the cast of that's going to be. Rumor is like Storm will be involved among others, but that's going to be fun because again that's going to be a smaller scope picture. And the X Men are so diverse. Like you could do a story about most of these characters on their own or in small groups. And I think that's the type of sequels we need to be seeing. Like Deadpool succeeded with just one or two characters from this universe. You can focus in more and do just a simple revenge story, and it's way more engaging than the world is going to end. Because where you, the only way to up the ante after we fought and defeated a god is to go cosmic and go into space, and I don't think they need to do that right now. Well, yeah, they said I'm, they wanted to, but...
4: But I'm just trying to think, like, again, you, you mentioned Deadpool. They they were supporting characters, like they weren't like the main character. Oh, no, do I just I meant, I just meant Deadpool.
1: Like Deadpool as a character. Right. Like wh- he carried that movie Absolutely. with supporting people. There's no reason you can't take a character like uh, like Magneto and just do Magneto the movie.
0: Well, Singer Singer yeah. thinks uh, Mystique would make a strong um, spin-off Staff. or whatever you want to yeah. call it. Uh, but anyway. I there you have it. I'm still fighting for X Men the Mall, but so be it. Let's see if that happens. Um, any final thoughts as we wrap this up?
3: Overall, I, um, I think it was a good movie to keep the character, like, introduce new faces and to the same characters that we know and love. And I think it, it definitely opens the door for more stories uh, that the audience can love. There you go. Dimitri?
4: Yeah. Again, I just I, I found it to be a solid entry into this X Men franchise. The three that that, that Brian Singer has has put together. If Brian Singer after this, much like Chris Nolan after his three, if he decides to, you know, hang up his directing spurs on on X Men and go into other things, um, you know, I, I always find him to be an interesting director. Uh, I'm glad. I mean, he's he's a fan of comic books, so I'm glad. I mean, with with Superman Returns going back into X Men. You know he he has a passion and love for these characters, and I always got that from his X Men movies. It would be very interesting to see what he does next. Yeah. So always, so. I mean, this is a guy that brought us the Usual Suspects. <laughs> so mm-hmm.
0: there you go,
1: um, uh, Zach. <clears throat> last thoughts from you? Um, I mean, ultimately, I stand by how I uh, I opened this. Like, I was disappointed by this movie as a movie. It had some great like comic book fan moments, like the Phoenix, like Nightcrawler uh cyclops like in that that shot with all of them in their costumes is just like a great just like fan squee moment but uh, as a movie as like a filmmaker i thought that this movie ultimately it was it it was it failed
0: okay well fair enough um let us know what you guys think at home um you know would love to get your guys opinion maybe maybe even out of curiosity where does it rank for you guys ultimately is it is it better than last stand is it worse than last stand who knows but that's where you get to decide and let us know. Um, and let us know what y- your favorite Easter egg is. I mean, there's so much to talk about with this movie. I mean, we could just go on and on and on, but we won't.
4: Favorite X-Men character.
0: That's right. Favorite, favorite X-Men character not in the movie. <laughs> um, you know, all that stuff. So thank you guys for joining us. In the meantime, if you guys want to interact with us directly, D Movie 1701, talk about a Star Trek reference. Go ahead, <laughs> please.
3: Yep, <laughs> Serafini TV on Twitter.
1: And that, Zach Wilson. Yep, That's with, on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. That's Zach with a C-H. That is correct. For some reason.
0: <laughs>
1: that's how you spell it. It's the proper spelling. Says F-I-L.
0: <laughs> um, all right. And follow us here at Movie Anatomy, at The Popcorn Talk. Like I said, if uh, if you liked Last Stand better, check out Guilty Movie Pleasures, because they made an argument for that movie um, here on Popcorn Talk. Um, we, of course, have a Marvel movie show That talks all things Marvel, so check that out. They're talking this. Um, And for us, what we've got coming up, we've got Alice Through the Looking Glass, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Popstar, a little movie called Star Trek Beyond. I'm sure Dimitri won't want to be a part of that. Nope. (laughs) Um, But we'll see you guys next time. Bye.